and welcome to another edition of The Assembly Line, an NES homebrew podcast. My name is Kevin from K-Han Games. And I'm Bo from Soul Goose Productions. All right, so this is part two of our uh, doubleheader coverage of the Nestev uh, homebrew coding competition, right? Yeah, so each year there is, well not each year, but many years now there's been an annual Nestev competition uh, for coding. Uh, people submit games, utilities, things like that, and then they are judged, uh, awarded prizes, and yeah, some projects go on to become the next newest hot Kickstarter deal and other ones, this is it. Like somebody makes something and that's their creation. So as an example of one that went on to wonderful Kickstarter things, are you referencing Twin Dragons? I am referencing Twin Dragons, yes. All right. Until uh, until Nebs and Debs comes out, yes, it'll just be Twin Dragons. That's looking pretty good, too. Oh, and Project Blue. Project Blue is supposed to be coming out with a Kickstarter, I think, next fall. Oh, is that right? Well, that's what he told us last episode. Oh, yeah, I remember that. No, I don't. That was so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was another lifetime. Yeah, so what did we talk... So this is a two-parter. What did we talk about last time? It was like a big X-Men style to be continued. Yeah, we talked to uh, a number of wonderful people. Uh, we talked to Nathan uh, Tolbert, who did Robo Tolbert. Ninja Oh, come on. Hey. Tomato, tomato. He always corrects me. You're no different. All right, fair enough. Well, who else did we talk to besides Nathan? We talked with MT, who did um, the graphics and a lot of the level design for Grunio Zerka, and also he will most likely, I would guess, do the final box art for what will be Volume 4 of Action 53. Uh, they just actually released Volume 3 of that, which he did the box art for, is that right? Yeah, so uh, the competition usually gets released as in a fun play on Action 52, which was a terrible game. It gets released <laughs> as Action 53, and then they've done now, this uh, This is volume four, the 2017 competition. And then we had uh, Brad Bateman on. He's the organizer of the competition. One of them, one of them, yeah. He uh, sort of gave us some of the history of it, and then also some of, you know, the things they'd like to do different, or just things they've considered doing different. Mm-hmm. And then we talked with uh, Doug uh, Fraker. Doug, my main man. Fraker the Taker, that's his uh, wrestling <laughs> name. He did Jam and Honey. He In the past, he's done things like Vigilante Ninja 2 and, like, Purple Jumping Guy. They were sequels, but not sharing the same name anyways he did jamming hunting this time yep awesome game and we talked to toggle switch who uh worked on project blue which was a fun little platformer yeah yeah he did the graphics of that and then franken graphics did the art and some of the level design stuff like that and in between everything on the last episode we threw in a lot of great music from these games and we will be yes kind of following a similar format this episode uh we had the same Types of questions that we asked people. We're going to throw in some music, stuff like that. And yeah, it's just sort of a something we wanted to do to kind of highlight the importance of this competition, which uh, anybody can be a part of. And it's a lot of people's first step into the homebrew community. So if you're on the fence about wanting to be a homebrewer, get out there and do it. Anything from Pong in space to, you know, uh, the next newest platforming prodigy. 
Yeah, and I know that in the past I've given the Nestev Forum a lot of grief um, for, you know, for various reasons. I won't get into them. <laughs> but, uh, but I will say, you know, without a doubt, if you are looking to get into this, um, the Nestev competition, people have been very, very receptive. So uh, don't be intimidated uh, if you want to sort of participate next uh, next year, if they do it next year or whenever the next one is, um, because uh, it's a great way to, one, get your name out, uh, sort of show you know the kind of stuff that you're into making, um, but you also make some pretty good friends along the way. Yeah, and actually the thread for next year's competition is already up, so join in. Well, there you go. <laughs> I love that you finally submitted a game to the competition because it just, I'm, it's something I can give you crap about for like for years now. What? That, that I finally submitted one or that it scored so poorly? <laughs> no, just that you submitted one because you were always, oh, okay. you always have such, you had a bad experience with Nestev back in the day when it was a less friendly place and. Right. Yeah, so now you've become part of that community, whether you wanted to or not, with your 11 posts. I mean, have I, though? Have I? I mean, I there wasn't a thread made for this game I submitted. No one talked about the game I submitted on that forum. It's like it never existed. Until you buy Action 53 Volume... No, yes, Action 53 Volume <laughs> 4 and get to play it with a buddy. Yes, and I will say that those that have played it uh, have seemed to enjoyed it very much. So, uh, oh, yeah. thank you to everyone that's checked it out. Hey, so what are we looking at on this episode? Well, uh, we're going to check out a few of the games that we uh, didn't touch on last time. Uh, we're going to check out uh, Wolfling, Inherent Smile. I don't know, are we going to talk to me? Uh, we are going to talk to you at some point about your game, Nothing Good Can Come of This. I guess we can do that. <laughs> We're going to chat with uh, Thomas for the competition this year. He entered the Alfonso game and then like uh, basically like Mortal Kombat for the NES. Uh, Alfonso Melee is what he called it. And you just fight with the characters like back and forth, which is such like a clever idea if you've ever built a game engine because, you know, you know, that's half the work. And then, you know, you have all this stuff. You might as well just turn it into a fighting game. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, most people, you know, go through the trouble of trying to put one game together. This guy went ahead and put two. So it's it's real. And they're both really good. So he uh, he did a mm -hmm. heck of a job with those. Who else are we talking to? Well, we talked to Pubby, uh, who also did a couple games. He worked on Star Evil, which is my personal favorite. And he also did uh, F to FF uh, is what I call it. I think that's what most of us call it. He, he probably, yeah. of course, calls it something else. But uh you yeah, know. so it's it's stylized F-FF, -F, right, in text? Yes, for you hex nuts, of course, that's zero, <laughs> 255. Just, you know, Clever. floor that gas. Because it's a racing yep. game. You know, I never put that together until you just spelled it out oh, for really? me. Oh, really? Oh, man. Yeah, isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> Sometimes one has to do that. I think you're missing the uh, pound sign, which kids today would call the hashtag, and the uh. money sign, which kids today would still call the money sign. <laughs> yeah, and we talked with INL, the great majestic yes. fabulous INL yes. uh, Infinite NES Lives that was tough locking down time with him I mean he's uh, traveling the world in his RV right uh, it's not even like an RV it's like a trailer in the back of possibly an RV so you might be right okay. there <laughs> yeah dude's all over the place yes yeah he was a pleasure to talk to 
check your shipping labels when you receive something from Infinite NES Lives. Check those shipping labels. Is he in Texas or is he somewhere not Texas? It's almost like Where's Waldo? You don't know. Where's INL? There's a game idea. (laughs) And then, of course, we talked to uh, Zatano who did uh, Light Shields. Yeah. So all those are coming up on this episode. Sort of a different format than we normally do. We sort of tried to ask them kind of the standard questions in order to for you, the listener, to be able to gauge their different responses and things like that. So we're going to kick this episode off with some music from Wolfling. While the nest of competitions often a time where people can try out new projects or present new ideas, this year's entries saw sort of a returner uh, to the scene. We are talking with uh, Thomas Guinan. He has done Eskimo Bob in the past, and he's known as Spoonie Bard online, which, as we all know, is a wonderful, beautiful Final Fantasy IV <laughs> reference. <laughs> Anyways, tell us a little bit about yourself, Thomas. All right, yeah. Um... I've uh, actually probably been around for a little while. Um, the Spoonie Bard website, I, it was been around since about 97. I started it way back. I was 15 years old at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's been around a little while. Um, back then, I was real into the uh, the ROM hacking and translation scene back in the late 90s. I, I did a, a few translations. Um, Glory Heracles 2 was the most notable, I guess. It was, was you? That was me. Yeah. Wow. I was playing that in like college in like 03, like in my dorm room. It was so exciting. So he has definitely been around for a while. Yeah. So I've been around for a little while and sort of, I dropped out early 2000s, I guess, you know, life took over. Anyway, um, just recently, like last, I guess late 2016 when the, uh, the AVS came out, I picked that up. And when I picked that up, I, uh, I also picked up the uh, Battle Kid games along with it because I was thinking, oh, there's a new NES system. I should get some new NES games with it. And this is kind of cool. And uh, so 
it just got the idea in my head where I'm like, okay, this is a system that a guy made it just like some dude. That's so cool. And there's these games that are just made by a guy. I, I want to do that. So I just kind of looked up some tutorials. The first thing I found was the uh, infinite nest lives uh, website where I was like, okay, wow, there are flash NES cards. This is really cool. Like, um, so I picked up just an NROM card to tinker with myself. And uh, I found some tutorials, uh, Doug Fraker's tutorials. Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, sort of building off of that, I uh, Eskimo Bob's just sort of grew organically originally for me playing with tutorials and then me rewriting absolutely everything so that I could try to fit as much as I possibly could into this NROM game. That's pretty much how it happened. So you just mentioned this uh, Eskimo Bob fella. Tell us about that. Oh yeah. Okay. So uh, Eskimo Bob, it was uh, originally a flash cartoon series uh, that me and my brother did came out in 2001 originally so it's it's going back quite a ways it was pretty big on newgrounds at the time which was sort of the pre-youtube center for watching videos on the internet i guess it was all flash based back when we were actually concerned about you know bandwidth and dial-up internet and that sort of thing so anyway eskimo bob sort of started way back then as a character and he it's always been kind of in the back of my mind through the years because it was this thing that I did online that had some moderate amount of success and uh I got tinkering with the homebrew I I already had my own characters cuz I had all these I've got dozens of characters that I had made through the for Eskimo Bob over the years and uh so I sort of already had these pre-made assets or artwork anyway music that sort of stuff and I just sort of had to translate that into 8-bit form and I already had so I had characters I had music and once I sort of had a, a game engine that I was happy with, it just sort of came together, I guess. How many projects did you enter this year into the Nestev competition? Uh, this year I entered uh, two projects. Uh, they're actually sort of two sides of the same project. It's a sequel to Eskimo Bob. Right now it's like just t- titled The Alfonso Game. I've been developing this sort of on my own, and I thought, Looking at sort of the uh, the limitations of the Nestev competition, I thought, you know, I could probably backport this a little bit using the old Eskimobob Enrom engine. Um, right now, I'm actually developing it. It's uh, I'm using the uh, Color Dreams mapper, so it wasn't that hard oh, wow. to take that and translate it to CNROM. But I, I did have to sort of chop some things out. And uh, I thought I, I came up with a, a pretty decent little demo that I was happy with for the Alfonso game. And I'd also been sort of working on this multiplayer mode, which is where the Alfonso melee comes in. So originally these are sort of two menu options within the same game. And I sort of split them into their own separate entities for the purposes of the competition, if that makes sense. No, it's a neat way to do it. Yeah. So when did you kind of start working on one or the other? Originally I I'm going to say I started working on the single player version of the Alfonso game in November. It was originally just going to be sort of a, an expansion pack for Eskimo Bob, where I thought it would be kind of cool if I was to take where I had the, the two character swapping mechanic and switch it so that you'd start with Alfonso and then find Bob throughout the level. I just thought it would sort of turn the game on its head a little bit. And I was actually going to just sort of rework the existing levels and 
sort of, it was, I guess, sort of like a master quest type deal. And so I posted a few screenshots online to get people's feedback from that. And when I did that, I got a comment from uh, Paul from Infinite NES Lives. And he said, well, if you're going to work on a sequel, I could do the Color Dreams Mapper for the same price as I gave you the Enron boards. And I thought, okay, that gives me some space. Maybe I should just think about making a sequel. And I started thinking, what can I add to this game that wasn't in the original? So I tried to add some new mechanics. I mean, the original game, it's a puzzle platformer and this this game is as well. So I just tried to add some new, like some of them are very subtle things that people might not, that you sort of take for granted in a platformer, but I sort of added, uh, there's ladders, there's there's more secrets hiding in behind the snow. Like I've got like one ups hidden in each stage and there's, there can be doors hidden in behind blocks. Is that the golden fish? Uh, yeah, that's the golden fish. That's <laughs> basically a one up. Yeah. So it almost gave me a chance to be a little bit mean. Um, <laughs> if that makes sense, the original game was sort of generous. It would just give you a one up every time you beat the level. But now that I've got a one up hidden in each level, it, it doesn't do that for you anymore because you can find it. That's why we make games is to be mean to people. <laughs> oh, exactly. It's like, you know, it's terrible to me, but I kind of enjoy that when I watch my friends playing the game and I, and I see them get frustrated. I kind of get a little bit of joy out of that. <laughs> but at the same time, like, it's not, if I see them get so frustrated that I give, they give up, then I'm like, okay, maybe I should uh, scale it back a little bit, scale back <laughs> a bit. But when they're frustrated to the point where they're like, no, I am going to destroy this. And then they finally do it. And they're looking at me and they're like, in your face, Thomas, I beat your level. Then I'm like, yeah, I'm doing a good job here. That you are, you've dangled the carrot successfully. Exactly. There's that line. I think it's important that you sort of keep that line. No, that is the the thrill thrill of game design. Uh, so, what sort of what made you want to continue working on the Eskimo Bob series and not branch out into something different? I was thinking of doing a sequel, and I was actually thinking of going a totally different direction before I started working on it. But I think where the first game it came together so quickly, this is almost just an extension of that because I never really stopped playing around with it. I, I was huh. still sort of tinkering with the engine, adding things to it and stuff. And uh, like I said, originally, it was sort of that Master Quest idea. And that sort of developed into, hey, I should start actually adding new mechanics into it. Like there's four playable characters instead of two now. Big difference in this one is that all the characters can attack because that was one of the, the problems with Bob in the first game was and I guess not really a problem, but that was his limitation. He could yeah. not attack. Only Alfonso could attack. In this game, all four characters can attack. So I made the enemies respawn because if they didn't respawn you've and you've killed all the enemies, then they're no longer a threat. So Well, and you also can't reach certain areas. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's weird. So many of us, like when we're building games, I think we have to put everything into that sequel folder and be like, well, we'll get to it someday. And you just went for it and went right at it. That's awesome. Yeah. I guess it just sort of, maybe I guess my brain has sort of stayed in that mode and I'm like, you know what? I'm rolling with it. Whew, when I'm done with the project, I am, I don't want to see it again. Goodness. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, the master quest as sort of being an example of how you sort of tinkered with this engine after you even released the game to sort of push things further and further. Uh, were there other games um, that influenced these two games that you entered for this project? I'd say that the, uh, the melee game, it was, even though the name melee makes it sound, 
it, it sounds Smash Brothers inspired, but I was probably more inspired by the uh, the battle mode in uh, Mario All Stars version of Mario Three. I kind of wanted to make something something along those lines where I was like, I wanted to have some sort of multiplayer aspect to the game, but having that within the scrolling levels seemed to be too difficult. So I thought if there was some sort of just PVP single screen mode where you can just, and especially where all the characters can attack now, where you can just sort of duke it out, see who can, who can kill each other the most and and who gets the high score. I mean, that there's just something to be said about that. That's just fun. So, well, yeah, I mean, the game I entered was (laughs) similar to duking it out. So totally get it. With either of these projects, is there anything you were hoping to sort of accomplish in terms of programming or goals or anything? I guess if I'm to look at it overall, um, I'm looking at the single player game. Single player version of the Alfonso game is sort of the meat and potatoes, like main course of the game is how I've looked at it. Because I still sort of look at them both as two halves of the same game. Hmm. So for me, that what I wanted to do is sort of take everything that I did with my first game and sort of push it to the next level. So I wanted to add things that weren't in there. So there's, there's more interactive elements. Like I said, there's the secrets, there's, um, there's ladders, there's signs you can read that give you hints. Oh, I liked those. Yeah. I just wanted to have little details like that, that, that the first game didn't have just to make it seem like a more complete experience. And I'm still continuing to develop it as well with the, uh, with the full version. And I'll probably put a demo out of that as well. There's a lot that I had to cut out from the, uh, from the full game to get it to fit in the uh, competition demo. Um, Like I've actually just this past week, I sort of implemented a, a map screen for the levels, sort of a Mario three style where, and I've got some branching paths. So you don't actually, I plan on having a lot of levels. And if I'm going to have say, you know, I'll just throw a number out. Like the first game had 64 levels. I want to have more than that. So if I'm getting close to a hundred levels to just play them one by one sequentially, it would become a bit of a slog. So I thought putting, putting a map screen in there, having some branching levels, it, it lets you get through the game without having to play all of them, but it adds replay value as well. And it also gives me the option too, where I could put sort of secret exits into the levels and you know, then I, it, the map could branch off from there, that sort of thing. So are those more hardware restrictions of the competition or just time deadlines? Some of them, I think it was time deadlines. I only, I only, I had the idea for the map, but I only implemented that within probably just the past couple of days, actually. And as well, I I basically ran out of space to fitting everything I had in there. So did you collaborate with anyone else on these projects? I know you said you sort of did the flash stuff with your brother uh, growing up, but did you handle the NES stuff yourself? Uh, yeah, right now it's, it's basically been me aside from, like I said, I was looking at some of, uh, some tutorials online and, uh, I used, uh, you know, there's the, uh, what's it called? Uh, is it Famitone? Famitone, the, uh, Shiro's library yeah. for the music. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I feel like I'm, it's funny. Cause I, I, 
I feel like I'm still new with a lot of this stuff. Like I don't know <laughs> a whole lot of stuff from the homebrew scene and it, it's still really new to me, even though I'm working on my second project here. It's, it's been less than a year since I started. So, And you finished your first project in like what has to be almost record time for a Kickstarter, which we will get to a different day, but man. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so with this, uh, these two projects, were there any sort of hurdles you encountered along the way? I'm not sure if there are any real major hurdles that I I came across. Probably the biggest hurdle originally was just trying to learn how to program using a mapper instead of the uh, and dealing with bank switching and that and that sort of thing instead of just the simplicity of Enrom. And that doesn't really come into play that much aside from just switching the banks for the uh, CHR banks. But I mean, with this project, it is something that came in, came into play, just learning how to deal with bank switching. For some reason, I had trouble map, wrapping my head around that. But once I got it, it was like, oh, I got this, you know? Man, it's a, such a good feeling when you finally do. Oh, yeah. Like once you click and you've got like, okay, I've, I've made something here and it, it feels solid and it's doing what I want to. I, it gives you this feeling like, you know, I can make this do whatever I want. And it's such a good feeling. You have such solid engines that the, you know, the real challenge is designing interesting levels. So, I mean, ah, that's a, that's a good base to start from. Yeah. And the level design, it's something I've spent a lot of time with this game. I find tweaking, just making little tweaks to the engine, um, adding a lot of stuff to the the user interface, like the map screen, um, the menus, you don't really see it in, again, I'm going into the sort of the main version of the game here, but because you don't really see the, a lot of the new menus and stuff that I've added in the, uh, in the competition version, because I sort of backported it using a lot of the stuff from the original Eskimo Bob. Mm -hmm. But there's, I've been working on a lot of that to make it sort of a, a more cohesive experience because the first game I feel was pretty bare bones. So I'm, I've been trying to sort of modernize and by modernize, I mean, you know, going from Mario one to Mario three, not that I'm going to compare my stuff to be as good as Mario, but along those lines where you've got sort of a more polished experience. It sounds like you took the time to really put as much into the game, you know, as you wanted to, um, looking back on things like, is there anything that you wish you would have done differently, um, in terms of like mechanics or like any features that you couldn't quite fit in? One thing that I wish I could have fit in, I I chose not to, the main version of the game uses a lot more of the, uh, sort of flipping between the CHR banks for animation. So the, the fish that you collect, they sort of wiggle in the air and I've got clouds moving back and forth. Uh, the water has some nice animation to it. I had to chop a lot of that out for the, the competition version. Cause I, instead of having like 16 banks available to me, I only had four. So I sort of went back to the, the old Eskimo Bob way of doing things where the water uses sort of some palette changes for the, for the animation, that sort of thing. And I think I sort of felt like, well, people haven't seen the, the version of the game that I've seen. So hopefully they don't, it's funny because for me, it's almost hard to look at. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping that other people that it's not hard for them to look at because it still looks better than my first game. 
<laughs> I guess that's <laughs> you're you're too hard on yourself. Uh maybe. But maybe it's just I don't know. There's something about, you know, I see what I'm actually making and then I I make something else. I'm like, hmm, I guess that's acceptable. <laughs> yeah, when you look at something for umpteen hours, you start to really pick it apart and Oh, it's, it's you can see the negative true. in everything. So yeah. For sure. <laughs> To get away from these terrible negatives, what have been the sort of uh, greatest successes of the project so far, would you say? I really like uh, some of the feedback I've been getting from people just like on uh, Twitter and Facebook, uh, people that like the first game and just even some of the old school fans from Eskimo Bob back in the day. It's been it's been cool because I the first game, I feel like the way I the way I did it, I kind of just did it in my basement over the course of a few months and it popped out of nowhere. I think that's how a lot of people saw it. It was just like, hey, there's a Kickstarter for a game and he says it's done. You did just appear out of nowhere and it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, because I, I sort of was all my info, like reading tutorials and I, had, I was lurking on Nintendo Age, but I wasn't really posting. So, so I just sort of post this out of nowhere. I've been trying to be a little bit more public about it now and sort of showing <laughs> people stuff and being like, hey, yeah, I'm working on this. I think I really enjoyed getting the feedback from the first game because it got it got a pretty good response once people actually played it. Well, that's the trick. It was just a good feeling, right? It's it's an it's a good feeling to make something that people enjoy. So I hear. <laughs> <laughs> 30, 30 of one hundred twenty people know that feeling for me. <laughs> it's, you know, it's well, I'm assuming they all like it too. But anyways. Um, so you touched on this a little bit, but I want to ask just for you to elaborate a little bit, what can we expect of this project now that it's been sort of released for the competition? Like what can we expect from it post competition? I'm probably going towards Kickstarter again, because the first time worked really, it just seemed to work out well. It seemed like a good way to get sort of the, the capital up front to produce the games i'd want to have it in a more finished state before i do the kickstarter um i don't i'm not sure if i'm going to completely finish it but i want to at least have it to the point where i'm like i have a solid engine i only have a couple more levels left to polish up because i don't want to be and that was something that was important to me the first time too is like i don't want to be one of these projects that that says they're going to do something and doesn't deliver because it's sort of it's sort of the curse of Kickstarter that people think yeah. like, and I'm like, okay, I feel like I built up some goodwill with my first one. Yeah. So I, I don't want to blow. I don't want to break that. Right. <laughs> I tried so hard to do those things that you just outlined, but I am now in that pile of people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, no offense. I mean, sometimes you can't help it. Right. But you are uh, not one of the worst we people in that. Don't regard. need to make me feel better right now. We're talking about Thomas. <laughs> Um, no, I completely understand what you're saying though. Uh, it, it just, it takes the pressure and the stress off and it just makes life easier. But, uh, Oh, exactly. Uh, is there anything else you'd sort of like to share? I don't know. Ever since I've gotten involved with this community, it's been, it's been, I find it's been really welcoming. It's been a lot of fun and I'm just, I still feel like I'm totally new and don't know what I'm doing and I'm enjoying the ride. It's fun. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely is. I've been doing this for five years now, and it's, you know, even with hardly finishing anything, it's still just like a, a great feeling to be able to do it. Do you have a favorite hockey team? 
You can't ask all the Canadians about their hockey teams. That's I I I most definitely can. I don't. Think it's that's... not the best season to say this, but I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan. Ah, so. nice. But you know, you, you got to stick with it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Better times are coming. So you did the music for uh, both these games, correct? I did. Yeah. Is there a particular track you'd sort of like to send listeners off with? Uh, I'm not sure. Let's see. <laughs> You could go with uh, it's it's called irritating stick. It was the boss theme in the first Eskimo Bob, but I, I sort of did a uh, a remixed version of it. I think it's track number eight in the battle mode okay. or in the melee or whatever game. Yeah, that'd be a cool one to send people out with. That. People tend to like that one. Awesome. Let's do it. Yeah, here is track number eight from the uh, melee game. As much as we tried to get all of the entrants on air for this episode, uh, there were some people that either couldn't make it or language barriers, things like that. So, uh, three of the games, Wolfling, Inherent Smile, and Maidao, we are, Kevin and I are sort of just going to talk about. Uh, we're not going to really review them in the sense that we normally do, but just sort of give you a description of what they are and, you know, what's out there if you want to go check them out. So... Our first one is going to be called Wolfling, which was by Lazy Cow, and uh, they were moving at the time, so weren't able to quite meet up with us. But uh, tell me about Wolfling, Kevin. What is it? All right. So Wolfling, um, it's a platformer um, when you get right down to it, but it has interesting mechanics. Uh, What sort of sets it apart from other platformers is that you're, in essence, playing two different characters but it's sort of like a Jekyll and Hyde, you're turning into the other character. So you're playing a person, and then when you run into Moonlight, you turn into a wolf. And the wolf has uh, different sort of mechanics, gameplay-wise, than the human. I guess a human, lack of a better term. <laughs> no, it's a human. Yeah, okay. So when you're playing as a wolf, like you can do this cool roll attack where you roll through enemies to kill them. And he can kind of jump further than the human can. So it's almost a puzzle game also because you have to figure out which form you have to be in to sort of get to the next area. And I actually had a lot of fun with it. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's 
It's a platformer, of course, but it's more of almost a, I know some would disagree with the term, but Metroidvania type thing where you're in, it's like the later Castlevania game, Symphony of the Night, and post that, Aria of Sorrow Mm -hmm. and Harmony of Dissonance and whatever else, where you're in like a giant castle. And so you scroll left to right, but then when you go north or south, you end up kind of flipping screens to a new section. And sometimes when you go right to left too, you also flip to a new section. But Yeah, I think that's a a very good descriptor. Like if you can picture the environment from Castlevania, it looks very similar uh, stylistically to to Wolfling. Yeah, but it'd be more like Castlevania 2 where it's like an interconnected world. Mm Mm-hmm. And it seemed like um, they used some sort of mechanics from Castlevania also. Like, I remember playing Castlevania, and when you hit one of those transitions, um, sometimes there's an enemy immediately there waiting for you. So you, like, get hit, and then you sort of fall back into the previous screen, and you have to sort of figure out, you know, what you have to do to sort of accomplish that transition the right way. Yeah, there's one reason I never played Castlevania growing up. <laughs> uh, the physics in Wolfling are kind of reminiscent of like early Konami stuff where, you know, you jump forward and you're on that path. Like there's no turning around once you're moving forward. And same with like the rolling. And I don't know, I ended up in pits a lot of times. It was sort of interesting just because it was completely different than like Capcom's easygoing, I'm yes. going to hold your hand, Mega Man style of things. Right, you don't have full control over jumping. Like, after you jump and land, there's like a delay before you start moving again. So it does take some sort of trial and error on getting used to the controls. I don't know that I ever really mastered it. (laughs) It it felt a little different to me. Like, I'm not super good at platformers anyway, um, and especially games where you don't have full control over jumping in midair. But Wolfling looks great, and the music's pretty good, too. Yeah, the music was pretty spot on. I really enjoyed the animations more than, not more than anything, but I enjoyed the animations a lot in terms of, like, everything was just really well thought out and how the animations jived with the scrolling engine. Like, you would run forward, and it it would kind of keep pace with you and then go a little bit further, a little bit backwards. It was uh, very well done. Yeah, it did feel, um, I'd say animations in that regard, it did feel very polished, uh, like a released game. But yeah, like I mentioned previously, um, you know, when you're playing as the wolf, he has one sort of mechanics where he can, you know, roll through enemies and he can bite, you know, as a wolf. But then when you're playing as the human, he has sort of a, a punching attack and the way it works is and it's interesting and i don't i don't personally know if i love it but when you press a or b i don't remember which button it was to punch it doesn't actually go through the animation until you let go of the button yeah so you're holding the button hoping you know that you're going to be punching an enemy but then you forget to release the button and then you get hit because <laughs> he didn't actually do the punch yeah there were some collision things going on in the game uh, but it was it was very ambitious in terms of there were also like things like ramps, which you don't see a lot in homebrews or NES games, period. And yeah. then, of course, the all the different physics for each character. I mean, you're playing two different characters the entire game. Mm-hmm. And so Wolfling was posted kind of not 
early on. I mean, it wasn't like they've been working on it for a year or so, but at some point it was posted and people gave their feedback and things like that. And a lot of it was taken into account, which is fairly admirable for a developer to actually sit there and actively listen to things and to get off the high horse and go, you know what? I do need to redo that. Like, that's sort of a big deal. And and Lazy Cow is very open to kind of that feedback. So that's one of the great ways to get involved with the Nestev community or the NES homebrew community is to just give your feedback. When people post demos, things like that, jump in, tell them what you think. They'll listen. I mean, they may not take it into account all the time. Some but of them might listen. <laughs> well, some of them might listen. I don't know if I would listen, uh, but... I certainly would not listen. But uh, Lazy Cow, my hat's off to you for... Uh, not telling people to piss off. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it was it was very well, very well done. Mm-hmm. So, what else is on the schedule, Kevin? On the docket? Well, I mean, I really want to talk about uh, this insane game called Inherent Smile. Oh, we're going to go there? I would like to. I mean, unless well, let's you just don't do want it. to. No, let's get nuts. <laughs> so, Inherent Smile, for those of you that don't know... Which is most everybody. Yeah, well, I don't know. We got some developers listening, but... Well, I know, and they're all freely available to be downloaded right now. Brad even packaged them all together in one beautiful zip file that you can just download right from the Nest of uh, Compo website. But what's crazy about Inherent Smile is, you know, on the NES, there's a few dungeon crawlers that have... You're inside a maze, and as you move, like, it reloads the screen to make it look like you're in a new sort of orientation direction. What's crazy about Inherent Smile, and Kalima is insane for doing this, I mean, insanely brilliant, they made the 3D maze fully fluid. Like, it doesn't just reload a new screen when you turn or walk. Like, you're walking and the maze is bending and contorting to whatever minute, you know, direction you're facing and i don't think i've ever seen that done on the nes before to the best of my knowledge other than like that fake doom demo that came out last year like this is kind of the only actual pseudo 3d engine that i've seen yeah so it was very impressive in that regard but on top of that on top of having a crazy fluid 3d i don't know if you'd call it raycasting uh dungeon game when you go to battles, it goes to a completely different sort of style graphically. And Franken Graphics did some very beautiful graphics on these battle screens. And they have sort of a dark, dingy, I don't know, I don't know if I want to use dingy, but um, <laughs> no, it dingy has a very distinct, so a very distinct, like, cool graphic style on the battle screens, which was pretty cool. Yeah, very much like a fade to black style, like the early early nes games a lot of the arcade games because they couldn't put a lot of stuff in the background so they would often just fade to black in order to kind of cover up a lot of that Mm -hmm. Um, but you don't see that a lot in certain genres like rpgs or dungeon crawlers yeah so in addition to having the crazy 3d graphics and the cool cut scenes for the battles on top of all that like that would have been enough but they came up with a really fun story to juxtapose (laughs) against like the serious genre you know it's crazy 
Oh, dungeon crawlers are serious business. You don't mess around with yes. that. It's like, you know what? The evil wizard has taken over the world. You're all going to right. die. And yeah, you you're hardcore, like mapping. Exactly. You're hardcore, like mapping floors and like trying to upgrade your characters. Like it's usually very serious, but this is a story about going to buy milk. Actually, yeah, I'll quote you the story right now. Okay. The risk I took was calculated, but man, am I bad at math. Coming back from buying milk, took a shortcut through the runes. I know, right? She will kill me <laughs> for getting the wrong milk. <laughs> he or she must be married because you know what? I've gotten the wrong milk before. Yeah, it didn't go well? No, it never goes well. <laughs> 3%, uh-uh. 3%? Your cell phone battery life? No, 3% milk. Oh, who wanted 3% milk? Man, why is it so hard to tell jokes with you sometimes? Because your jokes are bad. Oh, snap. There's no 3% <laughs> milk. That's the joke. I get it. Okay, it's like that... the blinker fluid in the car. Oh, it is like blinker fluid. Very good. All right. Okay. Uh, one of the other neat things about Inherent Smile is that your character graphics, like for your RPG scenes, they update based on what you equip, uh, which... You don't often see in NES games. You see that in newer games, things like uh, Final Fantasy IV Heroes of Light and Bravely Default, things like that, where your characters are constantly updating based on their little costumes, because I guess that's a thing. But um, in NES games, you don't often see that because of the memory constraints. But with homebrew stuff, we often have gotten around that, or we just put in the extra time. And I'm guessing that this was... A pretty solid Franken graphics contribution to this with her saying, you know what, let's have some extra extra graphics here because we can. But I want to tell you about my favorite part of this game. The fact that the second you turn it on, right there on the title screen, it says percentage of secrets found. Like in so many Nintendo games, there are cool secrets that you don't know are there or might stumble upon randomly. How often do you come across something that says, hey, there are secrets in this game. Come find them. <laughs> and as you find them, we're going to tally how many of them you found. Like, it's so inviting. Like, it makes you want to play more. Oh, you're such an achievement hunter. You oh, absolutely. Gamer. Absolutely. <laughs> I think the, uh, the PS1 Final Fantasy re-releases, they had that in there. And it was just like, oh, I got to find every, every percentage, everything. And then they took it away in the Game Boy Advance re-releases. But mm. it is a very neat feature. You know what bothers me about some of those games? When it goes over 100%. Oh, that happens? Yeah, like in Donkey Kong Country, you go to like 104%, 107%. Really? Yeah. It's That's like, how why? bad I am at platformers. Why? Just do 100. <laughs> I know you feel cool going over 100, but like, it's not a thing, man. That's like, that's like two in one shampoo. There can't be two in one. It'd be overflowing and sticky. Oh, that's definitely what she said. <laughs> so our third game, what is our third game, Kevin? Do Hanley? you want to talk about the music in that game first? Oh, um, the music in Inherent Smile, like this is truly a collaborative effort. The, you know, the graphics were done by Franken Graphics, programming done by Kalima, and then the music was done by, I'm going to butcher it as always, uh, Ali Suranta, which we know really nothing about he or she, and yeah. 
<laughs> it's it's pretty solid music though like you have title screen music you have exploration music you have battle music and it takes a little while to ramp up to kind of the good parts but once you do if you're not interrupted it's pretty decent nice all right so the third game we're going to talk about um amongst ourselves here is uh by the mojon twins and it's called Maidao, uh cheryl's nightmare Quite possibly. I really don't know how to pronounce most of their games. I mean, I know how to pronounce like Sergeant Helmet or like Sir Abadol, but Meidow. I was expecting a cat. I was ex- I, honestly, I was expecting a cat to be in the game, but there was no, there were no cats. Yeah, I mean that's been done in Nomalos, So, old Solomon. Anyways, what is what we're gonna call Meidow? Uh oh, man. I how would you even begin describing this game? Zelda-esque? No. What are no? we looking for? We're looking for one word and it starts with an S. Shitty? No! Oh my goodness, no! <laughs> Sorry. You made a game like it. Uh, Sokoban? Ah, nothing new here. Let's move on. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you mentioned that it's has Sokoban-like feature like when i played this game i didn't make that connection at all you made a sokoban ask not clone game how could you not (laughs) see that because these levels are they sort of go beyond a single screen like there are blocks like the puzzles are bigger than what you can see at one time it's an overhead sort of adventure with an emphasis on pushing blocks, but different screens have different emphases, and you can either be exploring a screen, doing the Sokoban-like puzzles, doing enemy interactions, you know, trying to kill or avoid something, or then even like platforming with jumping. So it really does hit a lot more than just Sokoban, I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, there aren't many Sokoban games that have enemies trying to kill you, and it's this game is pretty hard too. Yeah, and it's one of the more interesting, you know, a lot of the entries will try to appeal to people's not necessarily nostalgia, but we make the games that we liked and the mm-hmm. games we liked were all, sometimes at least the ones we played as kids and so you know, Project Blue was largely inspired by Mario with the physics and then like things like Cheryl, it looks like Zelda, like you don't see a ton of single screen overhead action adventures but then you throw on this giant puzzle element and it's something completely different plus it has that z-axis which a lot of these adventure games didn't have on the nes one interesting thing about uh cheryl is not the character but the game is that the the levels there are different dreams that she's having right yeah so instead of you know you're used to playing levels these are actual like different little worlds but because they're not sort of an interconnected world, I think the Mojon twins went with dreams and it's kind of a fun way to do it. You wake up in bed, you jump out and you go like explore and it's, they have a fun like narrative approach to the way that they do things and have for years. Yeah. And we haven't even touched on how amazing the graphics are. Like when it's showing her sleeping between the dreams. Oh yeah. That graphic is gorgeous. Yeah, the Modon Twins are sort of known for their, uh, I'll say, risque graphics. They <laughs> like to have games starring naked women or naked well, Cheryl. I mean, who doesn't? Um, I know, who doesn't? Who doesn't? <laughs> but uh, 
the nest of competition has sort of stringent rules on things like nudity, uh, probably to prevent excessive hentai, but um, <laughs> Cheryl has to don clothes in this one. And, you know, she, she still does the same thing. She's just clothed. Yeah. So I th- think that's one of the, the main differences, but their graphics are all reflective of that. Cause the, there's, you know, fully not animated, but, still framed cutscenes that sort of tell the story which consists of you know three lines of <laughs> wait let me tell it let me tell it oh you tell it uh, do okay. it in a dramatic reading like you're an old british man all right i'm not gonna do the accent though oh fine i can't cheryl can you hear me find my daughters and i'll release you you have got to be the creepiest person I've ever met. <laughs> Just done. That's it. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you if I said that to you and your name was Cheryl, you'd want to find my daughters so you could be released. I think I'd want to call the police. <laughs> you can't. This is Dream World. Oh, because we're in Dream World. No police yeah. in Dream World. No police allowed. So yeah, the Mojon twins are known for doing, well, they do a lot of games and they do them relatively quickly. They're usually programmed in C and they use mm-hmm. sort of this engine that they've developed or various engines that they've developed over the years. And they have actually just started sort of a project, which is more or less a Cheryl maker uh, where you can make your own games through some simple things. But we'll get to that in a different episode. Uh, but yeah, they're programmed in C. They're uh, team efforts. Uh, Nathan or N-A underscore T-H underscore A-N. I'll just call him Nathan. He does code graphics music. Uh, Davidian does the title music in this. The Anjuel did the title logo. And then Zemon did the some of the testing for it. Now, which which of those four are twins? Or are they quadruplets? I, I'm not going to lie. I still think, and I've told you this before in private... I still think the Mojo twins are one person, just like when people are like, well, she said, but it's really a he, and you're like, well, you're just trying to throw me off. I think the Mojo <laughs> twins are one person. <laughs> All right, we're going to get to the bottom of that one day. Yeah, one day. But uh, yeah, you know, there's language barriers, stuff like that. They're one of the few Spanish homebrewers that I know of, at least for, and there's quite a few for the Genesis, but it's one of the few that I know of for the NES, so that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And they just do kind of you get the sense that they're just going to make whatever they feel like making so if it's nude women attacking skeletons and zombies like that's their game and nothing that you can say is going to change that yeah and i mean they should do the only games they want to make like that's that's what great that's what's great about being a home brewer <laughs> you're like i want this game to be on the nes i'm gonna make it well, it's sort of surprising, though, because they are really open to feedback. Like, they posted their dev thread on January 2nd, and, you know, the competition finished up last week of January, beginning of February, and they took a lot of things that were mentioned into account and changed some things in the game based on that. But not the theme, not sort of the narrative and all that. So that was sort of cool. Like, they, they stuck by their guns, but they were still willing to listen to, uh, you know, what people had to say. Mm-hmm. Well, good for them. It's a very atmospheric game, uh, which most of their stuff is. They do a lot of like the fade to black graphics, uh, a lot of different lighting effects, which are very difficult to achieve on the NES. They do an, just an amazing job with those candles and, you know, floor that you can't see, but it sort of, you know, 
opens up as it gets into the light, things like that. Yeah, and they did some cool, like, you know, like we mentioned, it's sort of a action-adventure overhead type look to it, but they do, like, cool moving platform Yeah, puzzles. you don't normally see that. I think the last one I saw that in was in The Banketh, which was another Spanish number uh, mm, yep. last year that did not get funded, so the project kind of faded, but... Did it fade to black? Financially black, not red. <laughs> Anyways, um... But yeah, you don't see like platforming. Zelda had very few kind of platforming elements. I mean, you could use the rocks feather in like Zelda 4, but the early ones, not so much. So that's sort hey, of. you know what else you can use the rocks feather in? No, no. <laughs> just <don't. laughs> the, the Legend of Link. Uh, if we could just try to pretend that doesn't exist because it's so oh, terrible, no. then we could talk we later. We will not pretend about that at all. It's amazing. Parking lot fight after this. <laughs> so those are the three uh, people that we didn't really get to talk to, uh, except through you know email, PM, stuff like that. And so, kind of an overview of what they presented to the competition: three very decent entries, uh, very good entries, dare I say. And here's some music from Inherent Smile. serious projects that end up getting submitted to the nest dev competition each year but there are also quite a few that are just kind of for lack of a better word fun which really tap into the spirit of the thing we're going to talk with pubby uh, who submitted two games this year star evil and f2ff which for you assembly folk you know what that means but um Tell us a little bit, a bit about yourself, Pubby. Uh, what else have you done? Are these your first game projects? Kind of go from there. Uh, yeah, so I got into Nestev about, I guess, it was 2016, about April, I believe. And I was feeling kind of burned out on programming in general, game development in general. So looking for something to do, and I said, well, I've always liked Nest games, so let's give it a shot. <laughs> So, that weekend, I found nestdev.com, read all the documentation. That was uh, quite an experience. Pretty, pretty rough, honestly. <laughs> so, I was um, in over my head for a few days, but uh, eventually I kind of figured it out, and I made a quick game called Ralph, Ralph 4, actually. Uh, so, that was my first game. And yeah, I um, had a lot of fun doing that. What really surprised me was that how many people just got interested in my little game I made in just a few days. And that was a big confidence boost. What type of game was it? It was kind of a puzzle action game. Hmm. Okay. A really, really basic game. But yeah. So then after that, I did some other small projects. Did a Ludum Dare 
which is that uh, 48-hour game contest. Oh, yeah. Made a game for that, and then did nothing for about a year, and then I'm back with some contest entries. Not only some contra- contest entries, but some like really technically impressive and creative uh, entries, for sure. <laughs> well, thanks. Um, yeah, I've always tried to do kind of more technical stuff. I've always considered myself a programmer more than a game designer or anything like that. Uh, so that's what FFF was all about, was more of a programming project than anything, really. Dang, man, that is super impressive, too. It is. Um, and you and I both, you know, have played it, so we kind of know, you know, we can visualize it as he talks, you know, just names a title. But to those who maybe aren't familiar with your games, can you sort of um, describe the gameplay style of each of your projects? Sure. So FFF, it's a kind of a demake of F-Zero. It's a 3D-ish racing game. Pretty pretty basic game. It was a... Uh, gee, I don't really know how to describe it other than it's a F-Zero remake, but... Oh, on the NES, that's sort of a big deal. Yeah, there's not many games on the NES that look like this game visually. And, you know, from a programming perspective, it's impressive because I honestly don't even know how you did it. But I think it's, I think it's great. Um, I mean, don't sell yourself short. It's, it's very impressive. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I was inspired by Ian Bell's work. He's the guy who made Elite. Yeah, he did Elite, and there was another one, right? He made a, a tank demo. Yes! Which was yeah! Based on that, I think it was called Battlezone. It was an Atari game. Yeah, yeah. Nice. And he had a, his own little 3D renderer. Oh, Elite is super impressive. Yeah, so that was a big inspiration to me. And then there's been um, a few raycasting demos on the NES, so those are inspiration too. And then how would you describe sort of uh, Star Evil, the gameplay of that? Gee, I don't even know where to begin on that <laughs> one. That's a good sign, though. It's so good that you can't describe it in, in just a yeah, few words. Yeah, you did two like solid entries, so it's sort of tough like where to begin with you. But uh, if you had to describe Star Evil in a few words, what would you say? I would say complete nonsense. <laughs> I mean, there's there's exploration, right? I mean, the, the kind of set up the premise of the game, I guess. Well, the in contest pasts, there have always been people who have been remaking Action Fifty Two games. Uh, so I was thinking about doing that, like making an honestly good remake of an Action Fifty Two game. <laughs> so I, for a while, I was kind of pondering if I wanted to do that or just you know remake a game. But uh, at the time, I was watching a bunch of avant-garde YouTube videos <laughs> and I was kind of feeling inspired by all that just weirdness and weird games in general and weird videos in general so I decided to start off making a remake and then completely change directions and make something completely like off the wall completely strange that's the hardest part about your project is I want to talk about it and yet I don't want to say a word so that other people can actually experience it for themselves yeah, you don't want to give anything away, but like right from the start, there's like things that throw you for a loop and you're like, what's going on? I was so uncomfortable and yet loved it the entire time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. If there's one genius of this year's competition, I'm, I'm going to give that <laughs> award to you. 
I mean, yeah, I will say, you know, I, I got to judge since I had one of the entries. Um, but uh, your for originality, I gave you full marks for sure. <laughs> All right, but we're we're done. Uh, yeah, we're done. I guess building up your confidence here, fanboying on you. <laughs> Despite all these great achievements you've had, uh, when did you sort of start working on them? And did you work on them at the same time? No. So FFF, I started back in the summer, right about the time the contest was announced. And I was, I guess, feeling kind of antsy. So I uh, started work on that immediately. And that one took, that was a lot of effort, actually. It took about maybe three months to put together. What's kind of funny is I, before I started on it, I made a prototype in C++, just for the, you know, to play on the PC just to work out all the math and make sure I knew what I was getting into. But the little C++ demo I did in about an hour or two hours. And that, that, that took about three months to port to the NES. So that gives you an idea how slow the NES is programmed for. <laughs> uh, then Star Evil, I did the about last two weeks of January. So right before the contest was over, I slapped that together. <laughs> But all the all the ideas that you put into that and sort of just the way that you screw with human beings. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that game, I really didn't plan out, really. Or I really didn't think about any of it. I just kind of made it. So Even better. So you mentioned, you know, that Star Evil sort of came from originally, you know, you wanting to sort of make a good version of an Action 52 game, but then like sort of going an original route. How did F to FF sort of originate? Like when you decided to originally work on this game, what inspired you to go this route? Really just for the challenge of the programming. I really like those type of, that type of work. I really like just little, I like a, What's the word? Uh, just proving myself in terms of programming. That's just enjoyable for me. So so you went out, you set out to... This game was more of a programming challenge than a creative challenge. Yeah. Um, I actually kind of feel bad. I don't think it's actually that good of a game from a gameplay perspective. But <laughs> Is there just the one level in it? There's Yeah, well, there's three racetracks. Okay. I put a lot more effort into the programming than actually making it a, a game. And that's really because I realized about halfway through that it was never going to be able to compete with like Mario Kart or like an actual, an actual good racing game. Uh, the NES just, the NES is powerful enough for it to kind of work, but it just, I can't do what I wanted. So yeah, that's a, that's a tough call to make, but like in terms of creating sort of a 3d racer, you did a great job with that. Yeah, I think you uh, you accomplished what you set out to do. Yeah, I'm happy with it. I just it was just kind of an unfortunate realization that it wasn't going to be this wonderful thing. It was um I don't know. That's kind of why I made Star Evil because I was frustrated with how FFF was turning out. <laughs> so like what were kind of the <laughs> Besides F-Zero and Star Evil itself, what were kind of your inspirations from the NESs or other library in terms of your creativeness? For Star Evil, I was definitely inspired by uh, Atari's Adventure. You'll see the similarities if you play it. Um, so that was the biggest one. 
and just other Atari games. I I liked that Indiana Jones game. Oh, you had to use two controllers for that, right? Yeah, that's there's a a little hint in the game about that. <laughs> Did you uh, sort of collaborate with anybody else, or was this sort of all you? All me. The only other code I used was PPU synchronization by Blarg. Blarg has a small library for syncing up the video with the PPU cycles. So shout outs to Blarg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant guy. So obviously FFF was in itself a programming sort of victory. I mean, what what you pulled off was was pretty brilliant. But um, were there any specific hurdles that you encountered along the way in either project that were sort of hard to get past? So for FFF, going into it, I thought the hardest part would be doing the multiplication, division, all that sorts of things. Because to make a 3D game, it's all about multiplication of high-precision numbers. And the, the NES can't do any of that. It's an 8-bit computer with you know, a, arithmetic, and that's it. There's no multiplication. So I thought that was going to be really hard, but what turns out to be the hardest part was figuring out how to draw a line on the screen. <laughs> so to programmers out there, you might have heard of Bresenham's line algorithm. It's a really old algorithm just for drawing lines on the screen. And it was came up in like 1950 or something. It's really old, pretty well known. And I thought, I'll just use Bresenham's line algorithm and I'll be done with it. But turns out that it doesn't really map to the NES. There just aren't enough registers available. It turns out to be just really slow to implement that. So I was stuck on that problem for a long time. Uh, the solution was loop unrolling. Took a really short algorithm and I turned it into 16 kilobytes of loop unrolls. So one-fourth of that game is dedicated to just drawing lines. One-fourth of the code is just lines. That wow. was really tricky to figure out. Um, so, yeah. But, I mean, what, what, the game basically boils down to just drawing lines, right? I mean, when you're drawing sort of the moving track that comes kind of comes by you. I like to break 3D rendering into, like, two parts. There's a transformation part of transforming these points in three-dimensional space. And then there's polygon drawing. So drawing shapes connecting those points once they're transformed into view coordinates. Wow. Sometimes I feel like I'm smart. And then I talk to one of you guys. (laughs) Exactly. You put me in my place very quickly. Uh, I'll go to the back of the line. Well, this is kind of very similar to what they do nowadays. So I'm kind of familiar with modern games mostly. That's where I got started. So very similar. Is there anything you sort of would have done differently with either of these projects? Either in terms of mechanics or features or sort of your working process with them? I wish I had more time and I wish I spent more time on Star Evil. Just to add a few more things, add a few more polish. Sadist. <laughs> I was, uh, for a while I was going to have a section that involved climbing upstairs where it was going to be just like 20 flights of stairs, but the controls were really bad, so you kept falling down the stairs. <laughs> I'm literally gritting my teeth right now just like envisioning that. Yeah, I, I ran out of Man. That got cut. I love it. I love it. Would you consider any aspects of either of the projects to be like, what would you consider the greatest success other than like just accomplishing making FFF and pulling it off? Like, what would you consider the greatest success of either of the projects? I'm not allowed to say that I completed them because for me, that's the biggest accomplishment is just 
finishing something because I, I have yeah. trouble with that sometimes. It's hard to finish games and you know get them out there. Oh yeah, we we understand completely for sure. <laughs> I felt great the first time I saw like the the track rendered in FFF because that it was about two months of work before I could even see anything on the screen. So the first time I saw something, it was a great feeling. I can't even imagine. I don't know man. if I could have handled yeah. that, man. Like, I need instant gratification. Like, when I put the sprite on the screen, like, I need to see it. I can't imagine doing two work, two months worth of work to just see the initial sort of, you know, accomplishment. Yeah, it was a really big pain, actually. I had that C++ uh, prototype, so that was keeping me sane. Did you do the music yourself for these games? Yes. Is there any track that you'd sort of like to send us off with? I like the Star Evil main theme, the first one. Well, we'll play that. Uh, we'll play that right now, and we uh, we appreciate having you on. As weird as it might be, our very own Kevin Hanley, one of our co-hosts here, has submitted a game to the Nest Dev competition, which he always swore he would not do. And we have with us Aaron E. He's helped both Kevin and I with various things over the years. He's going to kind of take Kevin's place, and we are going to interview the man himself. Yeah, nothing good can come of this. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, uh, this is an interview and not a roast. I prepared for a roast. <laughs> yeah, you can roast me all you want, man. No, I'm just kidding. So I guess we'll just <laughs> jump right into questions here and just barrage of mad questions. So you're the infamous, well, some would say infamous, creator of Sneak and Peek, right? <laughs> are we going here? We are going there. 
that is All your right. claim to fame, right? I mean, I mean, it's yes, it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek claim to fame, but tongue-in-cheek, it's hide and seek on the Atari and NES. Yes, I mean, any game that you physically have to tell your friend, "Hey, close your eyes, I'm going to hide now." <laughs> I mean, it's sort of ridiculous, um, but I mean, growing up, I played the Atari version with my friend, and I had a lot of fun. So I thought bringing it to the Nintendo would be fun. And uh, it's become sort of this uh, this inside joke, I think. Um, and when people tell me, you know, I get a lot of messages that say, hey, like, do you have a copy of this still for sale? It's the only game that I need for my K-Han Games collection. And I think to myself, like, I can't in my right mind, like, I mean, I don't have this game for sale because it's been sold out for, I don't know, eight years now. But, like, even if I did, like, I feel so bad taking money for this game. <laughs> when is the last time that somebody actually asked you for this piece of junk? Uh, two days ago. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay. Untapped market. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because people get into this thing, you know, get into the community, you know, later, you know, as, you know, as they come across it they sort of try to find the back catalog of games so they they try to collect you know full series from different people and my mom you know starting out she would buy copies of each of my games you know just to sort of support me and she has she still has a copy of sneak and peek so she told me that she would sell it you know if anyone came across with the right price so anytime anyone ever contacts me asking for it i say you know my mom said she'll sell it but only if the price is right. And she said she wants this much money and there's no way I'm going to accept this much money for the game. So sorry, hate it for you. Mother Hanley. <laughs> so your entry for the this year's competition is not Sneak and Peek. It was something called yeah. Nothing Good Can Come of This. What does that mean or entail gameplay wise? Well, I mean, I feel like if I would have entered Sneak and Peek into the competition, it wouldn't have been fair to the other entrants. <laughs> no, but yeah. So this game, nothing good can come of this. You and I went to MAGFest this year and also two years ago. And there was a guy who had an arcade setup of this little game where it's just you and your friend playing against each other and you're playing and a gun drops and a bullet drops and you have to pick up the gun and you have to pick up the bullet and shoot the other player before he shoots you. It sounds very simple, but when you sit down to play it, there's a lot sort of involved. There's a lot of strategy of like, you know, going and sort of punching the other player to like prevent him from getting the gun and the bullet. But it's a lot of fun, like sitting down and playing it. So I know that Kevbot, Kevin Hirschberger, um, he spoke to the creator of the game and sort of talked about maybe bringing it over to the Nintendo, and the creator seemed to be down for it. So Kevin talked to me, asked me if I'd uh, be interested. I said, yeah, because every time I go to an expo, I sort of get inspired to you know start working on something again. So this presented itself. I got home, I started working on it, and you know I don't always set out to enter a game into the competition but you never do exactly well and you said that i you know i i said that i wouldn't but i i don't necessarily know that that's true i just it's never sort of appealed to me you know i have recordings from like two months ago where you say you will never enter one in i don't buy it <laughs> um but the timing of this sort of just lined up to where i 
right around the time that I was finishing up this little game, um, the competition deadline was coming. So I thought, you know, what the hell? Like, what would it hurt to sort of submit it? So I did. And uh, yeah, it's been fun, man. I'm glad that other people are getting to play it. What were you hoping to accomplish with this project, either programming wise or in terms of, of finishing something or other goals? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, the main goal was, I guess, showing people the joy that I have gotten from playing the arcade version. Like I wanted other people to sort of experience that same feeling of like sitting down, you know, with a friend and sort of beating the shit out of each other. So I, I think I pulled it off. I mean, I, 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 there were some corners that I sort of had to cut you know, some animation that I couldn't quite do as fluid on the Nintendo. But I think overall, I've brought the same experience uh, to the Nintendo. But I guess only time will tell after I started getting some feedback from people who have played it. It's a weird experience, too. Like, I, I tried to get my wife to sit down and play it, and she was like, this is way too violent. <laughs> Probably because I kept blowing her head off. But uh, yeah, there is that. But at the same time, she was getting really into it and really wanting to, like, kind of kill me if she could. And then as soon as like, I shot her, then she threw down the controller, but not before. <laughs> How's that different from normal? <laughs> Pretty much the same as playing Mario. <laughs> I think what this game has going for it is it's very simple to, like, look at and see what the objective is. Like, you see a gun drop, you see a bullet drop you clearly see that if you pick up both, you can shoot the other player. Like there's not a big learning curve to the game. So it's sort of a pick up and play. It's easily accessible. So hopefully people um, enjoy it. Oh yeah. She denounced it, but at the same time, like she was gripping that controller, like in death grip. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Then mission accomplished. So this being a port, did the original programmer have any input into it? Like, what was that process like translating it back to the NES? Um, I think the only input that the original creator had, and I didn't learn this until after the fact, unfortunately, um, I think he wanted to basically call it nothing good can come of this NES, or he wanted to distinguish it somehow as being an NES version but I only learned of that after I submitted it, so it's not sort of a a change that I can make. But after we got back from MAGFest, there was sort of a communication breakdown. We didn't get to necessarily show him what we pulled off on the Nintendo, so I don't have any immediate feedback on if he would have liked to me if, you know, if he would have liked me to change anything. So earlier you mentioned that you had to make some programming changes or or functionality changes due to the limitations of the Nintendo. Um, What hurdles did you encounter in terms of programming because of those limitations? Well, I don't think they're necessarily hurdles because, you know, if you've programmed for the Nintendo, you know that you have to, you know, if you're, if you're animating anything, you're basically inserting different sprites after you know a certain amount of time to animate something so i had to basically draw every angle of the gun rotating like when you're programming for a modern system you necessarily you you could just like kind of rotate an existing graphic to make it rotate fluidly 
but for a Nintendo, like you have to draw every frame of the animation. So I had to sort of make it, you know, when you spin the gun fast enough, maybe it, it isn't as noticeable that there, it isn't as fluid, but having to sort of make that sort of call, like, you know, what sort of, what, what things do I have to sort of tweak to make this work on the Nintendo? And and the main thing, bringing a modern game to an older system like this is sort of any sort of fluid animation and, and the gun rotating in, in this particular project was the main sort of, I guess, tweak I had to make. Sort of in hindsight, is there anything you would have done differently in terms of programming, features, mechanics, working process, what have you? Well, other than the obvious um, of me, you know, tweaking the name to uh, sort of abide by the original creator's wishes, there were there wasn't a lot of time for testing, you know, because it requires two players to play the game. It was hard for me to do a lot of local testing. So I tested with Matt Benhart online, but we only tested sort of at the, you know, at the last possible second. There were some bugs that sort of crept in there um, that I didn't find. Um, so I guess I would have liked to have tested it a little longer or had maybe more people locally to test with. So I had more um, varied sort of uh, play styles to sort of analyze. Um, but overall, I'd say I'm, I'm pretty happy with how things turned out. You know, it's a minimalist game. So, you know visually it looks a little simplistic kind of like study hall like at first glance there's not a lot to it um but once you start playing it there's some depth uh to be found there i think what would you say has been some of your greatest successes with the project so far well i mean it sounds lame but one of one of the main bugs that um, sort of crept up when when Matt and I started testing it was the way that I had the the gravity programmed was maybe not how I should have done it in the first place. I think that you know on on a on a program with someone who knows how to program, they would sort of build gravity into all objects on the screen to where objects are constantly sort of being pulled toward the ground. Um, but the way I programmed it from the start was kind of a cop out to where I would, you know, I would check to see, is this thing on the ground? And if not, I would try to move it to the ground. But there were instances where like when a player would collide with something, it would like screw that up. So like immediately I found that I had to tweak that. Um, but the greatest success, I think, which probably sounds lame, but um, after this sort of bug was discovered, I fixed it that same day by going back and basically rewriting the gravity routine. So when when he told like when I found that this wasn't going to work, it seemed like it was going to be such this you know such a big hurdle to go back and rewrite practically the whole game, like how every object was sort of handled. But it came back to you know to where I. I fixed things pretty quickly and I was very proud of myself with how quick that, uh, that turned out. So that is what I would say my greatest success is. So do you kind of have any plans to expand the game, uh, post competition or is this sort of end all be all where yet? Well, when I was finishing up sort of what I wanted to accomplish with the game, you know, I started thinking about ways that I could expand it to maybe work to where two people wouldn't be required 
So I started thinking about adding AI to the game, and I know Brian Parker, as I'm always finishing up games, he's constantly like throwing things at me, like, add this, add this. And I'm like, maybe for you, that would be easy, but like for some moron like me, that's a lot of work. So I, I, part of me wants to go back and add AI because it is a fun game. And I think that maybe people won't get the opportunity to experience it if they don't have, you know, friends locally that play Nintendo with them. But I, I don't know if I'm going to go back and do that because I am, I mean, I, I am fulfilled with, uh, with what I put out. Um, I think the game does sort of get across what I wanted to present. You know, the fun is there if people can take the time to find it. But there are, you know, when there are new and exciting things that you want to pursue, like going back and, and tweaking something that you've done in the past maybe isn't quite as exciting as uh, moving on to something else. So we'll see. I don't know. I never would have imagined. <laughs> hmm. can, I, can I think it's ironic that a follow-up project after the creation of Sneak and Peek was titled Nothing Good Can Come Of This? Depends what they were sneaking and peeking. <laughs> So you are well known in the community as a musician, a programmer, a game developer, but this game has no real music outside of some DCPM samples, which you very successfully used. I'll give you that. Thank you. Is there a famous Khan or is it, or is it pronounced Khan? I mean, at first I went back and tried to correct people, but you can literally call me whatever you want. Oh, you've seriously stopped correcting people? Yeah, I'm, that ship has sailed, man. That's the day where we lose our human dignity. But <laughs> um, So is there a famous K-Han uh, song you'd sort of like to send us out with? There's so few times we get to hear your wonderful music. Well, I mean, there is, let's be honest, a lot of famous K-Han material. Biplane? <laughs> no. Sneak peek? Exactly. We've talked about Sneak and Peek a lot, so I'm going to send us off with one of the tracks uh, from not the title screen, but the gameplay section of Sneak and Peek. There's music in that game? Oh, so you've never played it? Is that what you're telling no, me? No, I've played it. I just must yeah, have. Yeah, you're a fucking liar, but we're about to hear some music from the game right now. Gonna have to get that bleep button out. <laughs>
The Nestev competition, of course, would not happen without the participants, but it also would not happen without the people that helped put it on. We've, of course, talked to Brad Bateman last episode. In this episode, we are going to talk with the great INL, Infinite NES Lives, uh, Paul, as he's more often known. But uh, yeah, he's been around the community for years and years. He's done all manner of things from sort of creating the first viable flashboard to, well, what else have you done, Paul? I don't know. I mostly just do whatever sounds fun or uh, whatever people are asking for. Uh, so that's kind of just had me doing quite a different, a different things over the years. I first got involved with the Nest Dev community website when I joined back in uh, 2011. And I was just kind of doing some hardware experimenting and and tinkering myself. And that was actually around the same time that I guess it was, I don't know if it was necessarily the first NestDev Nintendo Age competition, but it was the first one in terms of, of the Action 53 and all that stuff goes. I don't have very good knowledge of what happened prior to that time, but I think there was something that happened at one point. Yeah, there had always been sort of little competitions over the years, but nothing quite on the scale of the 2011 competition. Right. And let me just say that when you said that when you started out, you just did things that seemed fun. Like, I don't think there's any better sort of mantra of like what defines a home brewer than like, I'm just doing what sounds fun. Yeah, it was kind of a revelation point for me. I, uh, like one of the actual first projects that I did, it was, well, I didn't, I never actually did it. Uh, well, I guess I kind of did. <laughs> anyway, I, I had this idea where I was going to, basically going to make my own version of the power pack. Mm. I just, you know, wanted to do it for myself just for fun. And I had, I put it on an S dev and I had, you know, talking and different people and stuff. And, and so I was just like, this is just something fun that I want to do. And I was in a couple hardware design classes and I didn't know much about, you know, FPGAs and CPLDs, programmable logic devices. And I went and talked to one of my instructors because he had experience with that stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm working on this project. And I was talking to him about it. And he's like, what is this for? Is this, is this your senior design project or something? And I was like, <laughs> uh, no, this is just something I'm doing for fun. Uh, and then, you know, after that, I was like, wait a minute. So you mean I could turn this into my senior design project? And uh, and so that's what I did. That was also when I made my first homebrew game. Well, it was, I, I went through the Nerdy Knights tutorials, and uh, I made my own version of Beaver Pong for Oregon State. And I had the... <laughs> nice. <laughs> had, had the logs on the rivers, the the beaver paddles and then the big Oregon state. Oh, bouncing around on the, the screen up and down. The no, river, no right? copyright infringement there. No, they, they, they wanted me to put it on there. <laughs> Actually the senior design instructor or whatever, he had me make an extra cartridge and go out on eBay and buy the campus, a Nintendo so they could like put it on display in the engineering <laughs> you know, office or whatever, you know, had different projects. That's badass. So I don't know if it ever actually happened. I sent, cause I actually make the extra cartridge for them until after I had graduated and I mailed it to them and I never, you know, was there to see if it happened or not, but he had everything. So I like to think it did, but probably not. 
it's funny that your school, like you actually did something NES related for your school because after I graduated from my college from the art and design program, years later they put on like an alumni art show ah. and they asked alumni like if they wanted to be involved to like let them know. And I told my previous instructors like, hey, like I make Nintendo games, like <laughs> would this count toward like what you're wanting to go for? And same thing, like they had me buy them a Nintendo, ship it to them. And this at the time, Frogger was the only game I had come out with. So like I sent them all the stuff and they put it like they set it up at the art show there. So wow, it was it's really cool to like do something like that you do as a hobby, but like be able to showcase it in a sort of, I don't know, scholastic manner. So, in light of all sort of that you've done in the community over the years, which we've hardly even scratched, what has been your sort of direct role in the competition itself? Well, I was really the driving force as far as getting it onto a cartridge, I, I, I think, is probably the biggest role I played. The other thing is, is I handle all of the, the finances. And for the most part, I, you know, I don't try to make the decisions in terms of the money go, how the money goes, but... I, you know, put things up in the forum and it's usually consensus by crickets because nobody really says anything. It's <laughs> like, okay, well, uh, this sounds good to me. Nobody says, you know, nobody's complaining or saying otherwise. So we'll just go with it. But there was the hurdle of getting the competitions, the, the 2011 competition onto cartridge. It just wasn't happening. It took like three years, didn't it? Yeah, so the, what the competition was in 2011, and I think we finally published it in 2013, if I'm uh, recalling correctly, because it was the year after I graduated. Mm. So Teples had, had put together the ROM, and he had all the games on there. And I think there was, uh, you know, so it was, the, it was Action 53 Volume 1, and it had all the competition games on there. Well, most of them, it didn't have... Uh, was super bat puncher because he used an mmc1 mapper so it was it had all of the competition entries that used the nrom you know the no mapper and so he was using the bnrom mapper anyway it's just a discrete mapper that's kind of similar to what a lot of other homebrew games use deadly towers right yeah deadly towers is really the only licensed game that used it i think but it's also very similar to like the battletoads mapper the only difference is the mirroring Anyway, he he made the he had the ROM done and it was I mean, I remember putting that on my senior design project in 2012, so you know, he had the software ready to publish within a year or so after the competition. And I'm I don't I don't really know. I think it was supposed to like go on one of Membler's' garage carts or something like that, but so he, there was a ROM that was basically ready to put on a cartridge. It's just nobody had cartridges made and it wasn't really talked about a whole lot so it just kind of sat there and i think it was in maybe it was like late 2012 early 2013 when uh the fox finished the streamers port right so the streamers game was initially an action 52 game that was junk and then some guys made it into a fun little flash game yeah arthur lee yeah, Arthur Lee made it into a Flash game that's really great. And then the Fox ported that Flash game back to the NES. I didn't know that it originally started on Action 52. That's that's interesting. Oh, yeah. It's like the only playable game on Action 52. So it came full circle. Somewhat playable. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was when he got streamers done. Uh, you know, at the time, compared to what other things were kind of coming out, it was it was pretty exceptional. And I was like, you know, this would be great. So he didn't he didn't really care to publish it on a cartridge wherever he didn't have immediate plans to doing so. And so I had these boards that I had you know recently developed to be able to publish games and stuff. And I was like, well, what if we came up with a new mapper and we could put stream the new streamers and all of the competition entries from 2011 onto one cartridge, make up a new mapper to make that all work. And everybody said, great, let's do it. So uh, Teples and I kind of came up with that new mapper and well, he came up with it and I implemented the hardware portion of it. And so that was, that was when we finally got around to getting it on the cartridge and released it in the summer of, of 2013. What was your motivation to get into homebrewing? Like, did you grow up and like develop a love for the system? Like, why are you focusing on the NES? Well, I, I grew up with the NES and, uh, well, I grew up for a long period of time wanting an NES and not having one. <laughs> and then I finally got one. So I, I was, uh, I was born in 85 with the same year as the NES, but you know, it wasn't until, uh, I think I was in like third grade or something like that, that I finally got one. My parents gave me, my cousins used Nintendo uh, in his collection of cartridges and not really knowing much about the Nintendo, you know, I plug the cartridge in and the light just sits there and blinks. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's broken. I don't know what I'm doing here. And so my parents felt terrible. And so they're like, okay, well, we'll go to Walmart and, and get you a Nintendo. And at that time, all there was was the top loader. Oh, yeah, the old one-on-one. Yeah, so I so I, I got the top loader and I basically grew up playing the top loader. You know, I had my game genie in there permanently. I had no idea why, but I knew that once you put that game genie in there, it was really hard to get that thing out of there. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't have a top load game genie, like you were using the toaster game genie? Yeah, yeah, it was the toaster. Oh, I wow. mean, it, it I just I didn't even know there was different versions just of crammed the game it genie. in there. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I mean, I was like 8. I just plugged the thing in there and a true man. I hate to confess this, Kevin, but um, I might have done that with your old top loader. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> the one that you gave me. With the the original HD Nintendo? No, the uh, your top loader that you found at that flea market or whatever. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> oh, it, it, it just, I rammed it right in. I didn't know. Oh, yeah. my God. Eight-year-olds, 30-year-olds, whatever. <laughs> funny i was i was thinking back like i have memories opening up my old front loader i was i was pretty i mean i i, I kind of just did that a lot you know any anything i get my hands on, i just take it apart and look at it and you know didn't really know what i was doing but i like i have memories of like our you know we had the old furnished zenith television and like it would that thing would break all the time the tv repairman would show up I'd just be sitting there watching him pulling out the circuit boards and, you know, he'd fix it, put it back together. And I was just always fascinated by that type of stuff. And so what you're telling me is you were born to be a hardware guy. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> you entered a few games or like projects in past competitions, right? Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you've entered in the past? 
Well, I only really did the one, uh, and I guess it was two. It was so it was in the two thousand fourteen compo would have been. It was the first one we had after we published the Streamers Volume One, Action Fifty Three Volume One. So we finally got all the games on the cartridge, and I'm like, okay, time to have another competition. And uh, that was like the first time that I had uh, tried to start making my own game that wasn't just Pong. And I had some like. I was working. I, I called it like Dig Deeper, but it's not even really a game. It was just you know a learning experience for me. Oh yeah, you did do the Dig Deeper, and it was you know I mean I'm a real fan of Dig Dug, and so I wanted to make some sort of Dig Dug uh, like game, um, but it wasn't a game at all. It was just some sprites moving around the screen and bumping into the walls um, with some animations going on. We used to have a smaller category. It was like an eight k byte. So it's supposed to be like a minimalist thing. And so I just made this little PCB artist. Yeah, uh, yes. It's it's kind of like a puzzle game, I guess. I don't know. Uh, the way that I, I set it up, if you make a mistake, you basically have to give up and, and restart. Uh, and there's only three levels, and the last level is pretty much impossible if you don't figure it out on paper first, as far as I'm concerned. But it was just, uh, you know, something I made over the course of a couple weeks on my breaks while I was at work. Oh, man, it's one of the most creative entries that's ever been submitted to the best of Compo. <laughs> I, I love it. <laughs> so I don't know I'm going to flatter you and make you blush. That's just how it works. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I really have fun doing that stuff. I'm terrible at uh, music, thankfully, if I ever make a game, there's tons of awesome people that will happily make music for you and and things. But you're talking to one of them, but not me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything planned for like a post deadline submission this time? Is there anything you're working on right now that you're going to add to the cartridge? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm really just trying to focus on some of my hardware projects. I have some ideas i won't get into too far but i would like when you because one of the rewards uh if you submit an entry you know we we generally we, we've accepted just pongs uh but people try to make them better or whatever and you i mean as long as as long as it looks like you've put in some effort you know we're just happy to see people contributing and and getting involved and getting started and so no one's ever been denied a cartridge because their submission wasn't good enough you know i will submit pong next year yeah i mean you're welcome to it would be nice if you made it special a little bit but it'll be like pong in space great we'd love to see it space pong <laughs> I see what you're doing, Bo. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I would like the competition cartridge to be able to easily be used as like a development cartridge to some degree. So lots of people just don't have ways to get games on hardware still. And if somebody's like, I think I want to do this, I'll submit some entry and then and then the cartridge they got would be able to be used for you know, testing entries for future years or something. So that's really kind of a, a goal that I have uh, for the near term. I hate to ask the tough questions in life, but uh, how is uh, Ye Old Action 53 Volume 3 coming along? Well, uh, it's been slow going, but we are doing very well. 
Woo! Temple's just created a build that lets me put in the custom text so that, uh, and I, I, it's probably going to be the final version. I'm, I've got all the hardware in hand ready to start burning cartridges. I just got to get my backlog of lizard orders out the door. And, and then I'm going to focus on, on building those and, and releasing them. So I'm not going to make any promises, but <laughs> nobody ever does. But there's no good reason that we shouldn't have something released within a month or so. Sweet. Very much looking forward to it. So in that same vein, what's the projected turnaround time on ye old Action 53 Volume 4? That's a that's a good question. Uh, something else I wanted to I, I just dawned on me. I, it made me feel kind of bad. I mean, I already feel bad how late things are, but it took us a while to get all the artwork done, and I had all the art stuff in hand, and then it was time for the holidays, and then it was Lizard, and and so you know it just kind of been one thing after another. But you know, from from volume three that we're just about to release. The winning entry, can't think of the name, the lizard guys. Oh, for volume three would be uh, Twin Dragons. Yes, Twin Dragons. Their Kickstarter just finished, so they, <laughs> so they had a game that, was, that won the competition. They kickstarted it, and then they shipped it before we finished the competition uh, cartridge. <laughs> that is true. I have my copy in hand right now. Yeah, he just emailed. I helped him with the hardware for his board because he wanted to do it all himself. But he had a bunch of questions and stuff, so so I helped him out with that. And he he's he's gonna he just messaged me asking for my my mailing address so I can get my copy. I'll have mine soon too. But my ideal world, we would have the volumes released by the holidays. I like that ideal world. Summers summers are tough, uh, and summers. Summers are meant to be spending time outside, <laughs> but uh, you know, hopefully, we can. And I think MT is going to uh, volunteer to do the the artwork again. And that is what I hear. The, but but part of the question that I still don't know is when are we going to put fifty three games on one cartridge? Oh shit! So the real like goal of action 53 when as far as i understand was that as a community we would make a collective 53 games and put them on a cartridge and it would be 53 good games if you take the summation of all the games so far we're basically there we were there with last this cartridge is about to come out so uh volume three but they count what do you count some of the things that are just tools they're not really games some people may want to go back and polish things the the way that we like set up the licensing agreement i guess you call it for the first volume is i really only asked for people's permission for the first 50 cartridges that went well and then got permission for another 100 cartridges and then we were kind of done i get lots of requests for them and i've i've let people uh, know that, but uh, I guess the the plan is is to save that for a compilation of all of them. But I don't really know. Oh, interesting. So I, I don't know what we're gonna do. I'm not trying to give anybody false hope here, but 
but it's yeah it's it's possible that the next cartridge after the one that we're about to release will be a summation of all the games i don't know how we're going to handle that it gets kind of you know what do you do from there do you just and i mean it is it is a little bit more expensive to put that extra memory on there and everything but we already went up to one megabyte for for the volume three that's coming out now so this is the year of multi-carts like brian released uh the christmas cartridges that were a multi-cart and then, uh, I mean, there's that full audio from Sergio, um, I think at 64 megabytes. So there's, there's huge chips out there that can handle this stuff. The boards that we're using for this version, I only have a one megabyte chip on there, but it's, it's all set up for an eight megabyte if we wanted it. It's just whichever, whichever chip you drop down on the board. So, I mean, it feels like there were only 13 entries, but that's 13 pretty much finished games that's actually like a huge that was for this year's competition that just ended yeah yeah volume what will be volume four i guess yeah i think we had what was it somewhere around 18 entries for the with the volume three cartridge hmm. um it was a lot it was a ama- it was impressive how many platformers like we didn't really have platformers before that i'm really blown away by how things progress each competition like i didn't expect it at all um we had more entries last year but the entries that we got this year like all of them were well polished years past you know people submit things and and i mean myself included i'm not trying to uh talk down on it but people don't really get very far with their project but they really did this year and It'd be it'd be great. It's hard to imagine entries getting much better than what we got this year. But I guess my hope would be if we can figure out some way to get more uh, entries, get more people uh, attracted and involved. And I have some ideas of maybe how we can do that. To some degree, our our reward system. Like if you have a couple people working on it, you only get one cartridge. You have to decide how you're going to split that up, or you only get one reward. But, you know, maybe there's ways we could, I, th- I think it's helpful for, and you guys do a lot of this, uh, just, you know, working in teams and, and it helps projects progress to the finish. One thing that I get a little bit worried about when you see how great all these entries are for like this year. And, and so maybe there's some people out there like, I think I want to make a game, but there's no way that my first NES game is going to compete with how great those games are that just released yeah there were there were some though that they were their first projects i mean project blue which was number two and then even i mean it got last place but it was still an amazing entry light shields like that was his first game and it was like well man if i could if i could say that like that's what i'd done as my first game that would be an awesome feeling right right i think it would be good if we like because some of these people it's nice to see they're coming back and they're submitting an entry every year and that's that's great to see i think it would be cool like to have some sort of like separate bracket for not necessarily separate but an extra bracket like if this is your first entry we're gonna maybe it should be weighted in some way like if it's a if it's the first entry rookie of the year yeah yeah rookie of the year something like that you know some other Uh, some other awards spirit award (laughs) i like spirit awards yes (laughs) i mean that that's the nice thing is 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 things are going well you know i mean 
the the fund that we've collected is is healthy. We can afford to do things if we want and and anything. It's it's hard for for me to even say that I could find enough time to make a game. I'm not motivated to submit the game to compete, and I think that's true for a lot of people. Um, they just want to do it, and it's cool cool to do. But you know, having a rookie of the year award or whatever, uh, and some you know prize just for that, I think might be cool to see and and maybe attract new oh, entries yeah. or. Dang, I I like this idea a lot. Contrib- giving people cartridges. You know, even if, if you had two or three people on a team, great. You all get a cartridge. Like, there's no real uh, – I think when we were first doing it, there's maybe some concerns that people would try to take advantage somehow, but that doesn't happen. I think it would be good to change some of the rewards that to better promote contributions and people get involved, even if they're just making art or they're just making songs. And I mean, if somebody was abusing it, it's not, you know, we, we have the ability to, to handle it, but I don't think that's a valid concern in terms of what could be improved upon. Yeah. I mean, the goal is to get the best of the community. Uh, so, you know, do what you can. Yeah. And I mean, just in, in general, just to try to help motivate people to complete something, you know, and that was kind of the. I think one of the original ideas of the competition is everybody's like, oh, I'm working on this, I'm working on this, and why ever get it done to the point to where you feel I can turn it in and have this competition. And it's been great to see people uh, like the Twin Dragons and Debs and Nebs, I think, continuing development on his game from the competition cartridge. And it's great to see projects kind of get their footing in the competition and, and go further with it. So, speaking of music, which you mentioned a moment ago, you've published a few musical albums in your day. Uh, is there anything you'd sort of like to send listeners off with? One of my f- my favorite cartridges to manufacture and assemble are actually uh, music albums because I have to, t- you know, I test every single cart. Well, I test it twice after I program the board when it's loose, and then I put it in the cartridge and I test it one last time. At- after I put the stickers on, before I put it on the shelf, you know, testing any game is kind of boring because you just have to go through the the menu screens before you actually see something scrolling to make sure some of that stuff works. But with the music cartridges, I pop the cartridge in and I quickly skip to the next track and I get to listen to that track for, you know, 20 seconds or whatever while I'm assembling the next cartridge and then I yank that one out. I put the next cartridge in and I skip to the next track again. So it gives me entertainment, you know, musical entertainment while I'm assembling the cartridges. But one of my uh, favorite songs uh, is on the first music cartridge that I helped publish, uh, the two AO3 Puritans by uh, Brad Smith. And it's called Dry Up and Tumble On. Sweet. Awesome. Let's check this out. Well, we are going to check out Dry Up and Tumble On. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us, Paul. This was uh, great to finally sort of talk to you in person. I know it's taken a few times to sit down and record, but uh, we do appreciate it. And yeah, man, your contributions to the competition are just phenomenal. Yes. Thanks, guys. Thank you. It's uh, great talking to you guys as well. Looking forward to meeting up with you guys again at some point. Oh, yes. You've only given me more questions.
So the Nest Dev competition is an interesting sort of conglomeration of different people. We have the old timers that have sort of been around the block and everyone sort of knows their name in the community. But every once in a while you get someone new um, sort of coming out of the blue that you've never heard of before and they have these new exciting projects. So right now we're here uh, with a guy who goes by the name of Zutano. Um, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about uh, his project and how he got involved in the scene. Yeah, hey. I guess tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, what else have you done sort of previously? Is this your first game project? Uh, are you a programmer? Yeah, I'm a programmer by hobby and by trade. Usually my job takes me to do uh, more data science focused work. But um, I also really like creating games. I've been, you know, kind of toying with making little, little games uh, for a, a while. So my first introduction to any kind of homebrew was uh, probably about four or five years ago. I was doing some Nintendo DS homebrew, just some really simple stuff. And then uh, from a friend of mine uh, who owns an arcade here where I live, uh, he told me about the NES homebrew scene, talking about how he collects all these different cartridges that they, you know, NES uh, homebrew developers put the ROMs uh, on the cartridges and he collects them. And he uh, kind of got me into the whole NES programming thing. So, yeah. So your project is called Light Shields that you entered in the competition this year. Can you sort of briefly describe the gameplay style of it? 
So it's a two-player kind of combat competitive multiplayer game where each player controls a spaceship, and uh, you basically just have to shoot each other with your bullets. And uh, the trick, the the catch is that in between your spaceship, or both of your spaceships, are these shields that kind of move back and forth. So they'll follow your ship around. Each player has their respective shield, and it'll follow you around to kind of keep you protected. But you can actually stop the shield in case you need to kind of peek around it really quick and get a quick shot off. Um, You can also shoot through the shield. If you shoot it once and it'll go down for about a second, it'll become transparent to the bullets. And it's basically just this kind of, you know, strategic combat um, where you just try to shoot the other player given these weird, wacky space rules. Yeah, you did some really neat stuff with like the graphics and and, uh, lights and transparencies and all that that you don't normally see. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, I wanted to make it look, um, I don't know, it, it went through a few iterations. Originally, I just drew the graphics myself in uh, YYCHR, and it, they really did not look very good <laughs> at all. It looked, it, it was some Microsoft Paint level stuff. Hey, don't knock paint. Yeah. It's Bo's baby. It is good for prototyping. I'll, I'll give it that. <laughs> well, anyways, I, I had a friend that does animation professionally come in and help me kind of boost the graphics to a new level and the when you're talking about the shield um that each player has when you're moving around the shield moves a little bit slower than the player right am i remembering that right yeah it just it it kind of lags behind you so it's not like you can just move freely around the screen and always have it protect you you know you kind of have to move strategically yeah sure you know if you want to have cover you're keeping it in front of you and if you don't want to have cover you're stopping it and moving around it so uh, when did you start working on the project initially? Um, I started working on the project um, earlier in 2017 for, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of MHacks. It's uh, like a hackathon. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard of a hackathon before. No. Basically, nerds get together and they just choose random projects that they try to complete in 36 hours. So it's kind of like a game jam, except not limited to games. I learn new stuff every day here. <laughs> Well, anyways, I went ahead and decided to do an NES game because I had kind of been meaning to learn about how to make an NES game for a while. So I went ahead and kind of dove into it. And as it turns out, the friends who I was there with really enjoyed the gameplay um, a lot. And so I kind of, after the the contest or after the hackathon was over, just decided to kind of keep working on it and, uh, you know, just slowly tweaking it essentially throughout the year and eventually... Uh, turned into what it is now. Well, first of all, let me say, as someone who also coded a multiplayer game, you are lucky to have local <laughs> friends to play with because that was, you know, that kind of stunk that I didn't get to do a lot of testing. But a follow-up question I wanted to ask is, when you set out to make this game, like, did you know of the competition ahead of time and like you were making this game specifically for the competition? Or is it something that sort of you wound up seeing around the time of completion that you thought it would be good to sort of throw it out there uh you know for that reason definitely the latter i yeah i did not uh, know about the competition or if i had heard about it i wasn't really in my mind at the time i just really wanted to it was almost just a learning experience purely where i just wanted to you know choose a project kind of jump into the scene and then eventually i figured you know this could be something that could that i could submit to the competition just kind of you know put my name in there uh, as a community member and homebrew game developer. So 
So did you end up doing it in C or assembly? Uh, that's all assembly. Yeah. Where did the sort of general idea for the game come from? Would anything inspire it uh, specifically? It was kind of uh, almost originally supposed to have an, kind of a, an asteroids feel, like the original asteroids. The original idea was supposed to be just you're a single, a single player game. You have one spaceship kind of at the bottom of the screen, and there's asteroids kind of flying at you from the top of the screen coming down vertically, and you have to either shoot or dodge them for as long as you can. That was, that was the original idea. Cool. Um, and then it kind of, I mean, I don't know how to describe it. It, it just kind of slowly evolved um, over time. Uh, you know, I, I started making the art for the asteroids and stuff like that. And then I thought to myself, like, you know, this might actually be kind of fun as like a two player game. Um, and I kind of wanted something that my friends could help me test out and would play, you know, along with each other. And so it just kind of eventually evolved into what it is. So now that the game's done and you're sort of looking at it, you know, post-completion, are there games that come to mind that you think may have influenced things along the way, you know, when you were making it? It was kind of influenced by Pong, of course. It has that kind of Pong-like feel where you bounce, you're trying to bounce things off each other. Originally, the game was called Spong, like Space Pong, <laughs> kind of a portmanteau. And um, the lovely community on uh, NestDev pointed out that, well, they first, well, f- first what happened, I guess, is I, I just started to notice that whenever I would tell somebody about the game, uh, they would get confused by the name. I, you know, I'd always have to qualify it by saying Spong, you know, dot, 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 space Pong. And they'd be like, oh, okay, I get it. And um, <laughs> that, that kind of got a little annoying. And eventually I posted about it on, I posted about the game on uh, NestDev where people felt the same way. And uh, I decided like, well, why don't we rename, why don't I rename it to like just Space Pong? And then it was pointed out to me that actually Pong is a registered uh, trademark yeah. So can't use that. So uh, eventually I kind of I was searching for names. Deflector is one that came to mind. Ooh, I thought it would be pretty ooh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> but eventually I settled on light shields. But so kind of getting back to your question, Pong is really w- the main influence. It was kind of just supposed to be Pong in space. Okay. That's a fun way to do it too with ships and everything cuz you know, you just have the paddles right. and well, you still have the paddles though with the shields. Anyways, so with this project, uh, kind of in general, was there anything you were hoping to accomplish? Was it just, you know, finishing your first game or uh, getting into the community? Uh, kind of let you take that where you will. Both of those, thing, of those uh, things, definitely. I wanted to get into the community. I wanted to finish my first game um, and kind of just get down some base knowledge so that I could go forth and start making more complicated games and, um, you know, more featureful uh, things. So... Look out in the future for for stuff that may or may not be coming out in anywhere between this year and 20 years from now. <laughs> As an aside, did you find the Nestef community um, inviting? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, there's a bunch of great guys, a lot of really intelligent people and people who are always willing to help. So um, it's actually really cool to have a community like that for this kind of thing. Cool. Um, you had mentioned that you, know, you started out this project and doing the graphics yourself and you brought in another professional animator to sort of help you flesh that out. Were there any other people that you collaborated with to bring this project into fruition or was it just the two of you? Uh, I did have somebody else involved. They did the title music. His name's uh, Pitfall. He's a chiptune artist 
And uh, yeah, you can, you guys can look him up on SoundCloud. Actually, like if you just search Pitfall on SoundCloud, you should be able to find him. Oh, cool. Did you know him ahead of time or did you seek him out? Uh, yeah, he's actually uh, related to Jesse, the guy who owns the uh, arcades. So ah, met him very through cool. uh, Jesse and yeah. If this world could get just a little smaller, that'd be even better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a tight knit community. That's what's nice about it too. For sure. Well, we're spread all across the country and then all of a sudden, you know, you're just in a game shop and it's like, oh, we do the same thing and there's only like hundred of us in the world that do this. That's kind of neat. I guess let's talk. Or hug. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kevin is a hugger. <laughs> if you ever meet him. So what kind of hurdles did you encounter along the way? Anything pop up that sort of tripped you up as you were learning or whatnot? Well, that's, you know, that's usually where I brought in other people on it. Like, you know, things like the art. I'm really bad at that. Really bad at animating an explosion and things like that. So that, that kind of tripped me up a little bit. I also originally thought I was going to have to implement my own sound engine. Oh, yeah. And Ooh. That was very daunting. The game went for a very long time without sound or music. Um, luckily, I found Shiru's wonderful Famitone engine. And so I, I just went ahead and added that to the project. So that worked out really well. As most of us have done. <laughs> yeah. Right. I would have been lost without that myself. So would you say you're happy with the project? Or is there anything that you would change looking back? I would say I am happy with the project. It was kind of a dilemma. You know, the project had just kind of dragged on a little bit. You know, I, I did most of the work at MHack. And then after that, it was mostly tweaking, updating graphics, adding the sound, stuff like that. And um, eventually, you know, I just felt like I wanted the project to be over. So I could move on to whatever was next. <laughs> God, I know that feeling. So I kind of, I just kind of set that deadline of, you know, I want to submit it to the Nest Dev competition. And so, you know, I did some final touches all the way up until the last week of the competition, submitted it, and I think it turned out really well. So yeah, I don't think there's anything I'd really go back and change except for maybe some more smooth animations and some like graphical updates. So what are you most proud of then that you were able to accomplish, like programming wise? Um, well, you know, it's not a very, you know, technically impressive game in terms of, uh, you know, the mechanics or anything, but I've never considered myself very good at game design, but by the looks of it, people are really enjoying this game. My friends all love to play it every time, you know, every time I show it to somebody, we always end up playing it for way longer than I thought we were going to. <laughs> so that's something I'm proud of, you know, able to come up with an idea and, you know, essentially on the spot idea. I mean, it really had very little forethought and it turned into something that people genuinely enjoy playing. And so um, I'm proud of that. Dang, man, that's awesome. Yeah. And like knowing that feeling, like when you're sitting down playing a game that you made with your friends on the Nintendo, like it's such a unique feeling. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Um, and you, you sort of mentioned that you just wanted this project to be done. So I don't imagine you have any sort of plans to expand this project, you know, post competition. I've talked with Jesse a little bit. And, uh, you know, if there's an interest in some kind of physical cartridge, then I would probably do, I'd probably do some updates to make the physical cartridge more attractive. Um, something like that, maybe like a new mode, because it currently just has those two modes, the shield mode and the open mode. Mm -hmm. So possibly a new mode or just a very, just a small mechanic tweak. Well, you'll have to let us uh, know if you do. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, is there anything else you'd sort of like to share with the world about the project? I guess I'd just like to share for anybody who hasn't gotten into making their own homebrew yet that, you know, it might seem daunting, but in my experience, you know, for with programming projects, it's easier, it's a lot easier to just pick a goal first and then, you know, work your way towards that goal. So instead of, you know, cranking through the Nerdy Knights tutorials necessarily, which they're great. I mean, I, that's, those are the tutorials I used personally to make this game. But, you know, maybe instead of just cranking through the tutorials, you know, just slugging through them, you know, come up with a project idea, even if it's super simple, just, you know, kind of work your way through, you know, asking questions and using the wonderful resources at uh, NestDev and Nintendo Age to solve your problems. It seems to me like a lot of people who are hesitant about starting, like all they need to do is like physically just buckle down and give it a try. Like they're they they have this huge fear of like not being able to do it and they never take the time to even start. So you just need to go for it. Like you said. Yeah, I think that's true about a lot of, I mean, in my experience programming, you know, people trying to learn how to program or how to make, how to really build something. They focus too much on, you know, they want to become experts at the underlying, you know, theory before even starting a project. And really I think, I think doing it the opposite way is a lot easier and a lot more fun. Yeah, it's definitely a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they, thanks for coming on. Uh, we're going to feature the title track from Light Shields. And yeah, it was great talking to you. Thank you. Great talking to you guys. All right, crank out another game. We'll have you back soon. <laughs> <laughs> That is the entirety, so far at least, of this year's Nestev competition. Uh, sometimes after the fact, things will either get tweaked uh, with bug fixes or actually whole games will get added and then released on the cartridge like streamers did back with the 2011 competition. But that is what we know so far. Now, after we released episode one, um of this sort of uh, breakdown of the competition, they revealed the winner. Is that correct? Uh, they revealed the entire ranking. So we're going to sort of go through that and kind of talk about each of the entries. Uh, just sort of a recap. All right, Kevin. So what was the winner of this year's Nestev competition? I don't like the way you just are making me say it because I cannot pronounce this to save my life. That's why I had you say it. <laughs>
Grunio Zerka 2 was the winner of the 2017 Nestev competition. Yeah, so that was the one by Lucas Kerr and MT. And M who, to the T. Yeah, they did the sort of MT did the graphics, Lucas did the programming, and they both sort of mm-hmm. did level design, which you know we talked about last episode. But yeah, that one scored number one. Uh, it's a puzzle platformer. What did you really kind of like about it? Uh, well, I mean, it looked as good as an NES game can look. I mean, MT consistently pushes the boundaries of what should be possible, and just everything he touches is gorgeous. So, uh, graphics, of course, amazing. Um, and I mean, it's a puzzle game, so I, I'm, I'm digging puzzle games. (laughs) Yeah, it was a puzzle game with, you know, jumping and things like that. So it, it was pretty interesting. I liked their, I liked some of the stuff we found out, uh, through talking with him about, the development where it went from sort of a medieval basement to like a modern day basement and, you know, the keys and all that. It was just kind of interesting hearing some of the, the development thoughts behind it. It always is. That's why we do this podcast, I think. Well, it's one of the reasons. <laughs> so number two. Second place went to Project Blue. Yeah, and that was done by Toggle Switch and Franken Graphics. It was mm-hmm. sort of a single screen platformer like Battle Kid, but definitely not Battle Kid. Yes. And uh, the physics were sort of borrowed from Mario, SMB1. And it, to me, to me, this was like the standout entry. Like, Grunio Zerka was very pretty and all that, but I'm not a big, like, puzzle guy. And then again, I'm not, like, exactly a platformer guy, but I, I really enjoyed this one. The music was just wonderful, graphics were great, and the gameplay was very solid. Yeah, um, I think when I personally ranked them, you know, when I turned in my scores, um, I had Project Blue at the top of my list because it was just a fun game. You know, platformers in itself, to me personally, like it's just easy to sort of pick up and play because it's there's the feedback from the jumping, you know, from platform to platform. Uh, Project Blue to me was just like you mentioned, it, it just was a standout entry um, and I was surprised that it didn't win. And I'm not saying that Grunio Zerka 2 does not deserve it because obviously it's an incredible game. No, of course not. We should have our favorites. Yeah, exactly. So um, kudos to all the entries, of course. But yeah, Project Blue is fantastic. Yeah, and that will hopefully, it looks like, be on Kickstarter this fall with uh, you know kind of a full game and all that. So be sure to kind of keep an ear out for that as they go. They were only one point apart in the scoring Number one and number two were at 44 and a half and 43 and a half. And the next one was, you know, a couple down. But uh, so they were sort of neck and neck, I think. I don't know how many judges there were. Yeah, I'm not sure either. What was number three? So third place went to Wolfling, um, which we talked about earlier in the episode. Um, that was by Lazy Cow. And it was, of course, the one where you switch between uh, the person and then the wolf when you walk into Moonlight. Another, another platformer. I really liked this due to the sort of interconnected world, the sort of Metroidvania-esque deal, but... You need to quit saying that. You're going to get a lot of flack. No, only one person is going to give me (laughs) flack, and you know what? I don't care. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) He knows who he is, and I really wanted to like Wolfling probably more than I actually liked it, because there were some bugs, like of all the entries it probably had, kind of the most bugs that i personally saw in it uh walking yeah. through walls stuff like that and the i could not get used to the physics like as much as yeah. i wanted to they were very difficult 
to kind of grasp. And so I ended up dying a lot. I ended up not getting very far or as far as I wanted at least. And I think it has some of the most potential out of all the entries, but it also could use, you know, a bit more polish. Yeah. And I think that could be said about a lot of the games that get entered. You know, I wanted to like them more than I wound up liking them. But of course, that could entirely be because these people were coding up until a deadline and they couldn't put as much polish into them as they would have liked to. Oh, yeah. It's always curious to see like where they go from this, whether this is it or whether they become, you know, maybe not a more polished version of this game, but like what becomes of their next game? Like, right. It learns from whatever this was. Mm hmm. Yep. So Wolfling stylistically was awesome looking. Um, and I think the idea of it was really, really good. Um, but like you said, physics, um, pro- and, and it could have been what they intended them to be, but I think that they could use a little bit tightening up. But it was a very, very cool idea for sure. Yeah, the transformations were really neat. Yeah, the, the whole sort of uh, en- the game engine uh, felt very solid. Yeah. So what was uh, the fourth place game? Fourth place was the Alfonso game, which is the sequel to Eskimo Bob. And it borrows a lot of that engine, added some new things. So it, of course, feels very solid because it's using or used a large, you know, part of a previously built engine. But then just, you know, kind of took it further. And Thomas's style with everything is it's Thomas has a certain style with the way that he wants to do things. Uh, They're based off, you know, those old flash cartoons, things like that. Yeah. And, you know, that's really what he's like hitting. He's not yeah, but it's make... it's definitely on purpose. Like that's oh, yeah. stylistically how his Flash cartoon looked, you know, back when it came out back in the day. So, yeah, it definitely does look unique. Yeah, it's harder to judge because of that. Just because you're like, well, it kind of looks like it's like overly NES. It's too NES for the NES is good. And sure enough, yeah, it is because that's what in you know 2001 as a Flash cartoon stuck with an audience. So it's really mm-hmm. neat because of that and. He just did a great job sort of expanding on a solid core. Number five, sir. Number five, we got Maidao, uh, Cheryl's Nightmare by the Mojang Twins. Uh, very, very cool sort of Sokoban-esque oh, how uh, dare you. elaborate. Yeah, I know, but it's an elaborate puzzle game. Yeah, and that was... Very, very good. That sort of scored neck and neck with the Alfonso game. They were, you know, tenths of a point away from each other. So they were sort of... Yeah. It's interesting when you look at the judging, you can sort of see right where people were very conflicted about, is this one better or this one? Because, you know, probably every other judge went one way or the other. Then on number six, we have the awesome racing game, F to FF. Who would have thought that was possible on the NES? (sighs) You know, that's one thing that I will give Nestev all the credit in the world for, because in my little bubble over here, you know, I like to do things that probably have been done before. <laughs> um, and those guys are constantly pushing the envelope of what should be impossible to do, but somehow they pull it off. So I know one of the shortcomings of this game is that there weren't many levels. I think there are only three levels. But the fact that there's an F-Zero type racing game on the NES is absolutely bonkers. Yeah, whether you want to get icy, dicey, or spicy, it is, uh, <laughs> it's rather interesting. And what a neat guy to talk to. Like, Puppy was just, yes. just amazing to speak with. Somebody that I 
I don't think I hardly knew existed in the community. And boom, he's, you know, out doing some of the most impressive stuff. Yeah. And I, the more I looked into it, I realized that he'd done some other stuff that I'd heard of. But it was like, wow, like two entries in one and vector graphics and lines and yeah. Cool stuff. Number seven, we have Jammin' Honey by uh, Doug Fraker, which... What was his, what was his re- wrestling name again? Uh, Fraker the Taker. <laughs> that's how he told me to, how to pronounce it after I mispronounced gotcha. the name so many times. Doug was just like, yeah, it rhymes with Taker. And I was like, oh, you're Fraker the Taker. <laughs> <laughs> Jammin' Honey was one of my top three favorite games that were entered this, uh, this year. It was very, very cool. I think it was my favorite. Like, and it's really surprising for me to see that it scored number seven. Cause it was like, this was the best. Like this was it. Yeah. And it's, I'd be curious, I mean, on those scoring sheets, there wasn't much place for, like, elaboration on why people scored the way they did, and I'd be curious to know their thoughts, but I think one of the things that might have held Jam and Honey back was the graphics. Oh, I love the graphics. I mean, I know it wasn't, like, super innovative, it's arcade-styled, like, it has that wonderful, Mm -hmm. like, simplistic graphics, and the sound was just great, but, you know, it's... It's things that people have seen before, and that's one of the things they've tried to do with the Nest Dev competition by like having kind of secret judges or special judges come in is kind of offset the tendency of fellow programmers from judging other programmers' work and saying, wow, that's like, that's technically impressive. I can never do that. You get full marks, and if I could do that, then you get less. And so Jam and Honey didn't push the envelope, but I, to me, it was like the best entry in terms of fun factor. I'm with you right there. Like a lot of these games, it's hard to see what they were grading them on. Like, are they grading them on fun factor or are they grading them on programming, you know, technical prowess? But Jam and Honey, yeah, far and away, one of the most fun games that was entered. Yeah, and right behind it was Nathan Talbert's uh, Robo Ninja Climb, which is, you know, endless running, vertical, scrolling, jumping in this case, because you can't run up. But yes, uh, yeah, you know, Nathan did a great job. This is his second year in the competition. His entries have gotten stronger, although at MGC about a month ago, I got to play Spacey McRacy, his four player game from last year, and that was awesome. But Really? Yeah, I mean, you got to have like four players for it. So this year's entry was was pretty awesome with just, you know, a single player game. And he's actually, I've heard, started to port it to the 2600 because, you know, he's done some 2600 programming. Yeah, and he, he figured out a way to like take, I guess, existing code that he wrote for the NES and make it work on the 2600 through some sorcery that I don't understand. Yeah, they use a different type of scan line deal thing. But if you're interested to see more of that, check him out on Twitter. Uh, He's just down there as Nathan Talbert, which is T-O-L-B-E-R-T. See why I always think it looks like Talbert? Hey, me too. Yeah, and so you can check out all of his progress. Same with Doug. Doug's on Twitter. Uh, The Modon Twins are on Twitter. Thomas. um, All the cool kids are on Twitter. Well, not all the cool kids. You got some. All of them. No, Puppy's not on Twitter. Oh, sorry, Puppy. That's true. Which? Entry number nine. Yep. Star Evil. Um, Yeah, this is. (laughs) You have words? (laughs) Far. 
I do. I mean, this is at the top of my list. I This game blew me away in every sense of the word. Like, you turn it on, you don't entirely know what's going on, you get a game over, but it's not the end. Like, very, very, very creative, thinking outside of the box completely. Uh, full marks, man. I tip my hat to you. This game is awesome. He's like the M9 Shyamalan of uh, Nest Dev. Like, he just... He sees dead people. Yeah, no, I mean, I I compared it to, like, a David Lynch thing. Like, it's just so sort of take what you know and throw it out the window because this is an experience that you're about to have with this. I mean, you, it's a video game, for lack of a better word, but it is an experience. And it's so weird, like, it's scored number 9 of 13 on, on the judging, but... Uh, you know, I guarantee that for most every judge that was in their top one or two for creativity and originality. Yeah, easily. And it scored less than, is that a tenth? Less than a tenth below Robo Ninja Climb? Oh, yeah, just just neck and neck, which was really close to Jam and Honey. And then those three sort of made up the middle bracket. Mm-hmm. And then number 10 was Inherent Smile, which was a very ambitious... Uh, I still don't know if it's ray casting because, well, I mostly work in 2D. But um, yeah, a 3D dungeon crawler with separate screens for battles that are more RPG-esque. Mm-hmm. You level up, you get different equipment, things like that. And I still don't really know what to think about that one. Like, it just, it tried to do so much that had never been done before. And I really like the RPG scenes. I'm kind of divided on the actual 3D implementation, but it was really neat to see regardless. Yeah, um, and and I'd be curious to um, find out if this was originally multiple ideas that they sort of crammed together. The battle screen and the maze dungeon, they both have very distinct feels, but I don't know if they go together as well as maybe they should have uh i th- i think they would work well together i'm more of an rpg or less of a dungeon crawl guy but it was just the, the problem for me was the fact that i couldn't tell where i was in the maze without looking at the mini map yeah and so i just ignored everything on the top half of the screen and just looked at the mini map yeah and I, it, it was even when you're looking at the maze the 3d maze when you start like getting turning your body a little bit it's hard to sort of determine where the wall is like i don't think that the the maze as impressive as it is programming wise i don't think it worked i don't i don't i don't want to speak poorly of it because it's so impressive but it's just hard to ver to like see where you are when you're looking at the maze like you have you have to be married to that mini map it leaves the question of can a real-time 3D, yeah, pseudo-3D game be done on the NES. You know, nobody's ever ported Wolfenstein, things like that, over. So that question's still kind of open. It doesn't answer it. It kind of gets partway there. Yeah. But, uh, it's probably going to be looked at as a stepping stone um, in the future when when something like a Wolfenstein port somehow comes out on the NES. Well, and I know with Inherent Smile, there were some definite time-like issues. Like, there there was much more that they wanted to do. There were multiple people working on it, and so it kind of got put together sort of as is. And so hopefully we see something more from this. I would love to see, like, 
what they had in mind and where it could possibly go. But I guess uh, I guess time will tell. Yeah, and I'd like to talk to the developers about the combat because you know there would be times that I would be fighting the cube at the beginning of the game and I'd kill the cube after four hits and then I would immediately get into combat with another cube and the battle would take 25 minutes and I would never kill it. Like, I don't understand why, like, are there different cubes with different hit point values or is that a bug? Well, like, no, the cube is sort of a throwback. You know, a lot of Super Nintendo RPGs have the cube and the cube is always very difficult to defeat with melee attacks and all that. You but at the beginning, damage. you don't have any magic. Like, there's no other way to fight him. It's true. It must progressively upgrade in some way. And I started to realize that the more I played it, like, you didn't encounter rats or slimes, like, right away. Like, you only got to them later in the game. So I'm guessing yeah. that it is a different cube, even though it looks the same. Okay. But anyways. Yeah. <laughs> then we get to... The bottom three. Yes. These, these are the real losers of the competition. Definitely. Um, <laughs> and it's because they're all two-player games. And so when you're judging a game, you do it by playing it and seeing what you think and, you know, examining different things. And two-player games, or especially four-player games, always score poorly in the competition, no matter how good they are. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a bummer because, you know, a lot of these multiplayer games, everyone that plays them with someone else, like they rave about them. You know, they're they're oh, so yeah. much fun, but when you're sitting down to sort of go through these games on your own to score them, you're by yourself. Like not a lot of these people have access to to playing these games with other people. So, I don't think that these scores are true reflections of how good the games may or may not be. Not a chance. These are the three you would pull out in a heartbeat at a party, and you would sort of hide all the others in a different folder. Yeah. But, uh, actually, some of them, like Alfonso Melee, which scored 11 on the list, you could not even start without having a second controller in hand. So, like, when I went to go play it some, I didn't have a second controller at the time, and I was too lazy to configure my emulator, so I got to, like, the character select screen, and that was it. (laughs) I played everything else, and eventually I got back to this one because, you know, I wanted to check it out. But, um, yeah, like, they require two players. That's in italics. That's just the way it goes. And, I mean, it's, it's a good game. Like, when you sit down to play it with a friend, it feels sort of like Super Smash Brothers. Like, you're, you're just fighting you're beating the crap out of each other and it's a lot of fun yeah so thomas made all these different characters for the alfonso game and eskimo bob they each have their sort of different abilities Mm -hmm. and in melee you choose characters and you fight against each other Uh, it's not you know it's not as complex as you know street fighter mortal Kombat. you don't have all the combos and stuff like that but each character still has their basic moves you have health you know deaths all that Mm -hmm. no fatalities (laughs) or babalities or friendshipalities or whatever they're called man you're bringing back some memories now no i know it's like can you just picture shun Tzu with the rainbow in his hands <laughs> yep i sure can <laughs> anyways what was number 12 uh number 12 was definitely far and away the best game in the competition uh it is the game that i did myself nothing good can come of this <laughs> <laughs> oh nothing good can come of this no, well, I mean, I've heard a lot of good came from it uh, to people who played it with friends. Oh, man, it's great. People have had a lot of fun. I heard that uh, it was played at uh, Midwest Gaming Classic a little bit. Yes, it was. I, we put it on as much as we could. People loved it. 
I, mm-hmm. I sent you the picture of the two dudes who were playing it, right? Yeah, you did. <laughs> they were like, this is the best game ever. And I was like, well, I got to take your picture and send it to him. And I never take pictures of random people. So right. it's a lot. It's much appreciated. It's, it's always nice to see someone play in the game. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and judge nothing good can come of this since you won't. Um, very okay. simplistic graphics. Uh, doesn't seem like there's a lot to do. But when you start to play it, you will not have more fun <laughs> killing your friend <laughs> than you do in nothing good can come of this. So Yeah. So if you get a chance to check it out, um, be sure to have a second player because you will not appreciate it unless you get into that, you know, life or death struggle with another person. Yeah, and it can't be overstated how competitive it gets. Oh, you know, it's, it's stupid. Yeah, I mean, when you boil down the game, it's very simple. You need a bullet, and you need a gun, and then you can shoot the other person. But you're constantly beating the crap out of each other, trying to get both pieces. It's just, it's crazy. But it's, I mean, I personally had a blast playing it at MAGFest because, um, you know, on the arcade there, and that's what inspired me to sort of make my own version here. It's just a fun game. So, in all things, except soccer, of course, because everyone's a winner, there does have to be a last place. And what was our last place this time, Kevin? Uh, Light Shields. Light Shields, or Space Pong. Spong. 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 That's my sound effect. So, it's last place. What do we have to say about it? Is it terrible? Heck no. It's not terrible at all. Like, that's what's cool. Like, all of the games that were entered have merit like they're all good so it sucks that someone has to get last and i came damn close to getting it myself (laughs) and i would have been okay with it you know like it's fine like all of these other entries were fantastic so like you can't really argue i mean they're they're great games and um light shields is a super cool take on pong like it's like a vertical pong So it's always, whenever anybody starts out programming, you know, Pong is generally the first game that they do. And at some point in that process, you you usually think, you know, what if I can make an original version of this? Like something that I could actually release as a game and then I could, you know, just kind of shortcut that process of developing something new and usually fall flat. But like Light Shields is actually an original take on things due to the force fields, due to the fact that it's now vertical instead of horizontal. Like Zutano just did a great job interpreting kind of a classic and adapting it to the kind of constraints of making something new. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't immediately feel like Pong. Like no. on, on a lot of the Pong clones that come out as like first projects or you know just throughout time. Once you turn it on, you immediately feel like, okay, this is Pong. Like, they've spruced it up, but it's Pong. Like, Light Shields had a very sort of unique feel to it, to where I didn't immediately think, oh, this is just another Pong clone. Like, it had a really unique take on it, and that, you know, the force field sort of blocking the other person's ball. It's it's just really, really cool. Well, and even like Paul INL was talking about, you know, that was his first project was Beaver Pong. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, there's everybody starts somewhere, and this was a great start because it's it's so original, and it's you know, of all these entries, this was the only one that my wife actually wanted to play with me. So, um, <laughs> you know, different games appeal to different people. Yeah, for sure, and that's what's awesome about this competition. So next year, if you're thinking about you know submitting an entry, no matter how far out of left field your idea is, like please, please like start to work on it, get it done. 
because we'd love to have as many diverse entries as possible in this. Across the various entries, there were quite a few common themes. A lot of people just kind of wanted to finish something uh, because, you know, it has a deadline. There's certain rules. They can just try to get something done within the time frame that they have. And so that was something we saw among many people. Yeah, and I think this year more than any other year prior, um, it seems like there's more collaboration than ever before. Yeah. There's people that are really starting to like be the go-to people for graphics and you can see from like franken graphics and mt like they're working on multiple projects and multiple entries and it's really cool sort of having people at the top of their game being able to contribute to uh some of these ideas yeah well people come and go like i know franken graphics only started working on nes stuff like two years ago so anybody can sort of get involved whether you want to do art uh programming music kind of whatever like it doesn't take that long to become pretty decent at all this and so the competition as a whole is sort of inspiring because of that yeah and i think another cool thing in addition to their being like really talented people working on graphics and like polishing up these sort of genres that have been tried and true for all these years like platformers and puzzle games there was a real desire to sort of push the technical aspects of the system with these raycasting 3D games and sort of the experimental storylines. Like there's a sort of open canvas to like explore things that you wouldn't normally maybe do on your own when there isn't uh, a competition to sort of get the word out and, and get your project out. Yeah, well, you end up building these sort of engines or like toying with some technical things. Like I'm, I'm sure Inherent Smile with the 3D raycasting was sort of like i think i can do this and same mm-hmm. with puppy with a f to ff like it was a very technical thing that then becomes a game and so the competition's a very safe place to sort of experiment with that and to get feedback from kind of the best in the hobby yep a lot of projects too we saw were sort of one and done deals last year with the uh 2016 competition things like nebs and debs and twin dragons like they were very much intended to like go on to become kickstarters like here was a demo and we'll get the full game done as we can Mm -hmm. Uh, but this year like a lot of them were just sort of one and done deals which i was kind of surprised with you know talking with doug it was like you have a great game here like this jam and honey thing and he was like yeah and that's kind of it and i was like okay I really want to good though. Yeah, I wanted to push him to explore it, but you know, at the same time it was like, you know what, I can respect that. And that was <laughs> that was fun to see. It's showmanship. Hit a high note, walk away. All right, George. What do we got next? <laughs> you know, I mentioned, you know, you can sort of start preparing if you want to get uh if you want to do an entry next year to start like thinking about what you want to do, start coding it so you can get it done, but you know, a lot of people don't. It, some of these games don't even take planning. Like mine, I, I started working on it just because it was something I wanted to do at that time. And then when I was done, it was like, oh wait, there's a competition. The deadline's now. I can submit my game. Like, just the the point of all this is to just like start coding and like work on something that you're passionate about and that you love. And if it turns out that you have something to show, you know when the next competition sort of rolls around throw it in the hat and 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 let other people check it out yeah so we basically have like almost uh six no nine months from now is when the next mm-hmm. one is is up 
That is plenty of time to either plan ahead or do no planning at all and still get something in. <laughs> yeah, no excuses. <laughs> and like we've said, there are so many different areas that you can get involved. You know, you don't have to be a programmer. You can be an artist. You can be a musician. You can just sort of help get stories together and ideas. Like, there are so many areas that you can contribute. And, and like I said, there's more collaboration now than ever. Like, people are very receptive to other people sort of pitching in and, and, and making their ideas better and pushing them one step further than they thought they could be. So it's only benefiting the community. And the easiest way to do that is to go to the Nest Dev forums, go to the Homebrew subcategory, find the 2018 competition, and either look at what other people are posting in terms of their own projects, or like Franken Graphics did last year, just start one that says, hey, I'd love to help with art. Anybody want art? Guess what? People want art. <laughs> yes, that's what I was about to say. Everyone wants art. I mean, that's that's where I've been lacking my whole time. Like, it just makes things so much easier when you have someone doing the art. Well, art or music, any any sort of assets. The the one thing that often you know people aren't like a huge fan of is like, well, I could do design for you, and it's like, well, I I can design it myself because I'd be the one doing all the programming. So don't tell me what to make, but uh. You know, unless you're an extremely talented um, narrative person, like I know E.C. Myers, who we've talked about before, he he actually like writes books. Like at what point is mm -hmm. he going to say, you know what, I have a story and anybody want to make a game about it? Do it. <laughs> Heck yeah. So all the projects that we've talked about today are going to come out on Action 53 Volume 4 at some time in the future. Yeah. Um, but Action 53 Volume 3, which is from the previous Nestef competition, is now out and available on cartridge, um, both with a box and uh, a loose cartridge. Is that correct? Also, there's a limited version for three bucks more, which yeah. comes in a transparent shell, the way that they've sort of always done with the LEs for this. And then there's also Famicom cartridge. Yeah, very cool. And they actually come with a poster uh, of the box art that MT designed also. Very, very yeah. cool stuff. Oh, and if you really want to like sort of dig into that, he wrote a whole blog post about the different like things that he took into consideration when drawing the Action 53 Volume 3 box art, which is just amazing. And while you're over on his blog, check out his posts about isolation and check out some of the graphics he's done <laughs> for uh, a game that we've been working on for a while. Yeah, which hopefully you guys finish sometime soonish. Yeah. And the cartridge version of Action 53 Volume 4, which of course is the 2017 competition that we've covered, should hopefully be out by the, the holidays this year. So they're trying to kind of cut down on the lag between the competition and the actual cart release. And so hopefully this is the year that it gets on track to sort of be within you know the same calendar year. Yeah, and I mean, even if it doesn't, Keep in mind that it's just it's it's just one or two people, you know, putting this yeah. whole thing together and doing the legwork. So it's completely understandable that these things are going to take time. But the finished products always look amazing. So yeah, and your support of them goes directly back into the community. If you're ever curious about the finances and like where the money gets spent, it's all documented online. You can go check it out, and you know, prizes get awarded to competition winners and cartridges get awarded to competition entrants and yeah there's really like no way to lose in being a part of it that's true if you submit a game you get a free cart like how freaking cool is that i gotta do that one of these days yep then i can make fun of you too 
<laughs> I've never said anything about not entering. That was you, <laughs> sir. But a uh, huge thank you to everyone that made time for us. We know it was hard sort of scheduling, you know, blocking off time to do these interviews, but getting the opportunity to focus on each entry individually. I don't think it's been done to this level before, so it was very, very fun getting to know the people behind these projects, their processes behind them. Just the whole thing's been a blast. So thank you to all the people that we interviewed. Yeah, and thank you for entering games, all of yes. ye old people. This competition would not exist without people actually participating, so it's great to see, and it's it's become more and more of sort of a kind of a highlight of the year. And of course, it would not be possible without the people that uh, put it on. So, Brad Bateman, Infinite NES Lives, thank you both very much. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, and of course, Teples, who actually programs uh, the ROM to put on the cartridge. He, he assembles all these entries and makes them magically work on a single cartridge. Uh, it's wizardry. Yeah, and he designed the initial Mapper 28, which was used for the you know Volume 1 and on so we didn't get a chat with him this year but uh hopefully we will in years future and yeah just a very neat guy he's done tons in the community and yeah big thank you to you three and of course in classic nintendo fashion a big thank you must go out to all of you for playing yes these entries would be meaningless you know the act of making games is meaningless unless somebody actually plays them and hopefully enjoys them so thank you for taking the time to check them out. They're all freely available online, as we've said before. They'll be out on cartridge, you know, in the future. And yeah, you know, these developers would love feedback. They'd love to know what you think and, you know, what, what's good about games, what's bad about games. And yeah, you know, they do this. They do this for themselves. You know, I, I know I make things for myself, but they really do it to get people to actually play them. So uh, special thanks to anybody who's actually taken the time to check them out. Even the most basic game takes so much time and effort to create. So, like, if you have played any of these games, if you enjoy any of these games, please reach out to the people that made them and just send them a, a quick, you know, great job, I liked this. Like, it might seem meaningless to you to say it, but, like, it really means the world to us to receive those kudos because, like Bo said, like, we make these games for ourselves, but there's nothing better than witnessing someone playing them and, and hearing that they were enjoyed. So thank you. I, for one, I'm looking forward to, to next year, sort of to see, you know, what, what the community's going to kind of give to us. Uh, it's a great annual thing. I think people are starting to get into sort of the rhythm of it. It doesn't have to be the next new Super Mario Brothers. It can be anything in between, you know, from Pong to Ninja Gaiden. The point is to get involved, to use it, use it as, use the competition in any way that works for you. If it's a springboard to greater projects, if it's a springboard for learning, if it's just a chance to finish something, to say that you've actually finished a whole game, like, use it. And the community is only as strong as the people who are part of it. So get out there. Yes, we'd love to have you. Um, so as always, uh, if you'd like to reach out to us, if you have any questions, you can email us at nesassemblyline at gmail.com. Um, we'll answer any questions you send our way on future episodes. Um, and as we mentioned, you know, in, in the next episode, we'll sort of return to our regular format. If you want to follow Bo or I on Twitter, um, I can be found at 
a ton of glaciers. Bo is at Solgoose. Um, we're always sort of posting about uh, what we're working on or what other people are working on, trying to, you know, get the word out on those guys. And as we've mentioned on previous episodes, we do have a Patreon. Um, if you want to support us, uh, which is entirely optional, you can find us at patreon.com slash line. I also want to mention that in September, uh, I think around September 9th, I haven't nailed down the exact dates yet, but I'm uh, going to be putting on a charity stream to raise money for autism uh, research. Uh, we're calling it the NES Spectrum Marathon. Um, if any of you out there uh, are looking to uh, sponsor, if you'd like to sponsor the event, uh, we've been sort of taking some donations to raffle off uh, to people who are going to donate for that. Um, so definitely reach out to uh, me if you wanted to do that at uh, a ton of glaciers on twitter or you can send me an email at the email address that i provided earlier uh either way we'd love to uh sort of get the word out and showcase uh, anything you have to offer and you you say donations but you mean that you will actually be playing whatever they send in on air so it's a great chance for some exposure yeah so i think you know as a developer myself i'd really love the opportunity to showcase what you guys are doing in a way that I think you would appreciate. So if you want to get some exposure and at the same time help out a great cause, um, get in contact with me because I'd love to have you. So we are going to close with some music. Here's a song from MyDAO. And yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much, guys. <laughs>